This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. We are live. Good everything, everybody. How y'all doing? Everybody, clap your hands. Yeah, It's In Class With Car, episode 176. I apologize for the tardiness. We, you know, we were convening beforehand. Uh, talking about some things, yes. and so and and my computer had to reboot, so I'm gonna be transparent about that too. But uh, Dr. Carr, you had me up late last night watching they clone Tyrone. Yeah, they, they out here, they out here cloning. Uh, that's exactly right. What we see <laughs> on the commercial, that the commercial had me at the end. Did it so? The white dude out there, oh, right now we're reporting from, and then the brother comes in the screen clearly on social media. Oh, this wild, they out here cloning. And I thought, is this a minstrel show? But what do you think so far? Well, um, I got to the Kiefer Sutherland uh, speech about why we keep cloning pimps, prostitutes, and drug dealers. And it was it was profound to me. And and I also, it, it kind of dovetailed uh, onto the conversation we had last week about music towards the end of In Class with Car episode 175, where last night we were talking about the need for bridges and the need for momentum of memory and the need for art to reflect the past as well as the present and then have an imagination for the future because you can't do that without all of those elements as Earth, Wind and Fire would tell us. So I, I, was, I was surprised that that speech uh, was so damn accurate in terms of that. But at the same time, I'm mindful that the depiction of us in music and media is but a very measured and purposeful depiction of us. The us that I live in every day is this. This is the us that I know. And this doesn't show up. Um, it's starting to show up in Abbott Elementary. It's starting to show up in different places, you know, and there's artists like, you know, we talked a bunch about Lovecraft Country and other, other uh, you know, art that's out there uh, that shows us fully. Like Idris Alba right now has a, a hijack, you know, uh, film. It's really good. Is it uh, excellent? Yes. But again, when I'm watching him, I see us, you know, so he happens to be black. His family's black. There's black people, you know, black people doing stuff, Indian people doing stuff. And this is the way we live in the world, right? We don't live as minstrels. We don't live as caricatures. Well, well black, some people do. I think like, the American Negro, in terms of mass commercial entertainment media, is fairly minstrelish, would you say, around the world? This is I, would, I would only say that because that's what pays. And so we have to divorce, we have to uh, get off the teat of of needing of 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 thinking that's the only way to get paid right so if it's like it's pavlov right if pavlov tells you this is how you get money you gotta you know talk bad about your your the women and the men and call calls out of our names and talk about drinking and smoking and and everything is wet and you sticking it here and you're sticking it there if that's the the thing that is getting capital and, and i'm 12 and i see that these are the people that are making money if these are the people that are making money then this is what i have to do and i'm 12 my mind's not fully formed if i gotta drink scissor and screw and and do this and hit and kill people and drive around and and shoot and and that's how i become wealthy to have that house and that car and drive those things and have cardi b as a wife and no if that's how that is being marketed towards me what options do i have am i going to stick my head up if i'm in my little tiny tiny neighborhood and community and that's all i see to see the professors and the scientists and the other people that are making the same money because i was just talking to you i was like i don't know what bob Iger looks like 
he could walk down and walk into the store and nobody's going to bother him. And he got more money than Jay-Z, Beyonce and Solange put together. No question. I don't no know question. what he looks like. So, no so is that the goal? Like to be seen and to be rich and what is wealth really when um, one of the richest men in the world lives in the same home for the last 60 years. And I'm talking about, you know, the man from Omaha, you know, who is. Yeah. I mean, he lives in the same home in Nebraska that costs like. <laughs> less than five hundred thousand dollars that's right that's right is he wealthy you know so i just i feel like we need to and i think they did this on purpose because i remember reading um booker t washington i think he was writing about on the plantation when the time was down during the holiday season if you didn't drink yes you would get beaten yes fred, fred, douglas, fred douglas okay fred, yeah fred but 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 book that trauma of enslavement, right? They don't want you to tend your little patch and go fish and and salt away food for the winter. No, you get drunk and run foot races. That way we can watch, and uh, the NFL, mm -hmm. and we can also, uh, you know, make sure you don't, you know, get no self determination ideas. Right. Those skills. But, but, but the, the punishment attached to the non participation. So right now is is reward, mm -hmm. right? It's reward, reward, reward where's the punishment for participating now? Like we got to start reverse engineering all of this. Uh, well, I mean, we're doing it. I think this is it. I mean, how do you, how do you raise capital? Have people who are oriented around money crowdsourcing. I mean, you know, when we talked three years ago about this, you know, realizing that you already had a vision and then this, this, this invitation for everybody to do a little, it's the cards you with some model. And when we read uh, Miseducation of the Negro, I mean, this is the model. We can we we can support ourselves. Now, you know, as my friend Jared Ball might say and told you, you know, blacks don't have any buying power. But in the meantime, uh, that's fine. Uh, we still want the state. We need the state. We got to challenge state apparatus. We pay taxes. But we can walk and chew gum at the same time. I think oh. what we're demonstrating is that we are crowdsourcing our a foundation and it's and it's working incredibly and it's beyond their capacity to stop because they didn't start it <laughs> so i want to i want to share with everyone what i shared with you last night so you know tiffany aliche good good with money yes um, yes 50 million dollar business right so she was a preschool teacher and i was sharing this with you because it was so inspiring she said yeah. she had a really great education went to a predominantly white school and you know living in newark realizing that most of the children in the harshness of Newark, not, not in gentrified Newark, would never have an opportunity to have the education she had. She made a concerted effort on purpose to become a preschool teacher because she read that the early formations of words and reading would steer the trajectory of a child's life. So she wanted to teach four-year-olds how to read. And her commitment was every four-year-old in her class would know how to read by the time they got out. Because she said, I don't know what they were going to experience in the first, second, or third grade. But I know at least if they run into some bad teachers that didn't see them or what have you, they would have the tools for themselves. And I thought about the purposefulness of becoming a preschool teacher, which is not something that most of us, you know, we want to be science teachers in high school or whatever. But to it be a preschool teacher. You're not teaching preschool. No question has has a particular impact on our community and this woman made a conscious decision and then when the recession hit and she lost her job and lost her home she made a commitment to teach those children's parents 
financial literacy, particularly their mothers. Cause she said, if you feed a mom, you're going to feed the community. So she went in and people, she said, everyone told her, you're not going to make any money. She's like, I, I don't care about making money. I'm going to make a difference. Cause if I can teach these mothers how to manage their money, hmm. those babies that I just taught, then I'm going to have an impact. Fast forward, $11 million, $50 million books, TV shows on Netflix. This woman has demonstrated, and she only serves black women in the inner city. And anyone else that gets it, that's great, but that's not her core mission. And I think about how, if you are purposeful about the things that you do, the increase happens. It just happens because the, the core of that is so pure and so important. And wouldn't you like be thankful with a little bit of money? We all know people in the hood that buy Nikes for their babies. They they find a way to make Month, you know, to find money for the shrimp dinners on the weekend when they don't have, you know, Nike yesterday, and I thought to myself, why? These but they, what I'm saying is because they value that, right? But right. now Tiffany has given them something else to value. So if I could put my money into this, I could put my money into that. I can steer it away from the baby. Don't need Nikes that they're gonna grow out and they don't care. That's for everybody, not for the baby, because the baby don't care what's on their feet as long as it, you know, it's comfortable. And the baby ain't even walking. So what the hell? Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's let's steal that money. And Tiffany has changed minds. Right. So because of that, that community has served her. The Budgetista is a brand. And. And I, the brand and the brand has substance behind it. Branding isn't the difficult thing, is it? I mean, the difficult thing is connecting a brand to something of, of lasting substance that's going to be in a larger arc. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we're in a society where value is quantified by money, but the value you're talking about with Tiffany Aliche is, you know, the, yes, the, the, for those who are oriented that way, they see that point of entry. But once they enter, they realize, yeah, this is money toward a some, so something else, though. I, I don't necessarily I don't think capitalism can necessarily be reformed. And ultimately, it's going to consume itself. But ultimately, we still have to pay money. We had to pay the light bills. We had to pay. You got to pay the payroll. You got to do everything else. We got to manage this. Somebody got to subscribe, all that. So we need that marker until we get somewhere else. And she's showing that when you say budgetista, you're not coming into this as a naked Michael Douglas and Wall Street, Charlie Sheen type cutthroat capitalists. No, this is a means to an end and we can all be in it. And, you know, I taught your children when they were little. So, you know, I'm not doing this and we are not doing this so that we can all go out here and beat each other up for that last dollar. No, this is not reality television. We're doing this for the future. It's a beautiful concept and it's working well, as you say. As you know, someone asked, are you a capitalist or a revolutionary? And I said, can you be both? And I, and I think you know, just like socialism, communism, capitalism, in the hands of people without vision or souls, it turns into what we have right now. But I, I think of Robert Church Sr. as a capitalist. I think of everybody in Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Rosewood, Florida as capitalists, people who understood, okay, what do people need? Housing? Okay. So O.W. Gurley and J.B. Stratford, rooming houses, building houses, people come in, they need a place to live. Do you need a place? What else? We need food. Okay. Let's build, you know, like there, there's a co-op, but also somebody profits, but other people eat, right? That capitalism works when the money flows. Dan Black was on last Monday and he said, you know, if you have more then somebody has less because the universe has enough, right? So if you have an abundance, if you got all of the land, that means somebody doesn't have land, right? Do you need all the land? Do you need all the money? 
you know, and that was what Tiffany, she said, most of the money that she makes goes back in. Same with the way I move, you know, they're, they're colleagues of mine who make millions of dollars a a year. Um, and it just goes, and they keep millions of dollars a year. I made money and built other shows and built this thing and then built the next thing because I mean, what we're in right now, what, what, what we are in is, is, is evidence of that people. And I'm, I'm not, let me just say, I'm not saying that for like, oh, pat on the back. I'm just saying that. No, I, no I'm I, saying. Just I want to see if it works. Does can it work? Can it work it if works. you take enough for yourself and then build for others, and then they build for themselves, and then build for others? You know, Clay gave us receipt. You know, when I think about the baguettes, right? You know, I brought Larie and Clay, and now Heather B, Laura Coates, all of these people into this space. Laura's killing it on, you know, to CNN, and she's got other things going. Heather's doing her thing. Clay then gave us Reese. Reese has a show now. You see Reese with, with everywhere. her own show on yeah. Saturdays. That's live. Yeah. Uh, and and Reese's giving us Erica Savage and you know this girl is, Erica Savage. Well, yes, yes. I mean, but this is the way it should be, right? And so and everyone, I'm I'm like so happy. Clay and Reese doing shows that are selling out live, and I'm like, yes. Hmm. There's enough. There's enough. That's true. There's enough. I mean, it, it, I think it's it, it's something that we have a difficult time grappling with because we think about ways of knowing. You know, capitalist systems are built as part of a culture, the culture of scarcity. So you know, the idea that there isn't enough, and so you know, when you look at the ancient Egyptians, and we'll be. Yeah, I think I'm spending next week talking about what we're going to be doing when we go in August. But uh, Ma'at, the concept of Ma'at that Dr. Beatty has been talking about in the Metanetic class, and is, you know, the idea that every action has a reaction. Capitalism can't displace the laws of the universe, the laws of reality. And the simple fact of the matter is when you deprive others of things, ultimately their deprivation is going to have an impact on you. I mean, you know, we're we're now experiencing what is what is what is Arizona now in their second week in a row of 115 degree. This is this is global warming. It was a long article in yesterday's New York Times about this lawyer in Puerto Rico who is suing Exxon and all these other places for the damage that global warming has done and the hurricanes. Hurricane Maria did to Puerto Rico, and she's using the RICO statutes. And the cases have not been dismissed as of yet. In fact, people are joined. And the whole idea is every action has a reaction. Capitalism is destroying the species and and harming the planet in part because of greed. People are not sharing. And I'm not talking about the foundations. And I'm not talking about, you know, I saw um, the president, uh, Dr. Bro at Bowie State, uh, sister, first woman president of Bowie State, just blew past the $50 million fundraising mark. Uh, like two years ahead of schedule, but part of that money is Mackenzie Scott. Part of my philanthropist is not going to save us. Warren Buffett is not going to save us by giving away his money. Capitalism is a problem, but we live in a capitalist society. So therein lies the contradiction. I mean, we have to live. And so we, we, we take the resources we have and we apply them to a different way of knowing what you're doing. What we are all doing, participating in this is in the capitalist system. We are using our way of knowing to pull out and and we're fine you're going to eat i'm going to eat everybody's going to eat they'll have a place to sleep like you say somebody you would wouldn't you rather be in an ecosystem in an environment where we all can support each other yes and there are people who like nice things and they should have what they enjoy but somebody shouldn't be homeless 
Because ultimately, if enough people are homeless, you're going to see what's happening like right now in Kenya. Right now in Kenya, they're in the streets. People have been killed. They are mad at the president because the, 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 the fuel prices have gone up. The food prices have gone up. And there are literally hundreds of thousands of people in the streets of Kenya right now. And there are people at the top driving nice cars, enjoying themselves, and other people outside. You putting up people outside at some point, they come in to get the cars in the house. I mean, what his, are, are these people? And this is why we do this history thing. I mean, I think about Papa Doc and Baby Doc. Yes, you know, I think about the Marcos as they are re reimagining Imelda Marcos. Yeah, yeah, I saw that because you know her son now is president. And it's weird that you would elect somebody when the daddy was like, "What's going on here?" You know, it's like, do we have? We don't have any momentum of memory. Y'all have no memory. Like you think it's different now. Okay. And, and I feel like it's because we talked about this last night a little bit too, that everyone's looking for a savior when the savior's in the mirror, right? And the savior's yourself on some level in demanding certain things around you, demanding certain things of the people around you. Some of y'all need to prune your lives of the people that are draining, draining. And some of you are drains. And you need to ask yourself, why am I draining am a situation? Why am I being a drain on a situation? What am I bringing to this? When I when I ask people to bring a brick, folk get confused. You know, like I don't I don't have anything to do. Yeah, bring your whole self. Like make a make a commitment to to fix all of the things, and it is a lifelong journey because perfection is a process. But but fix the things in your character, fix the things in your psyche, fix the way in which you see the world, and come in and contribute. That's something, right. something. And if it's your silence, that's good enough. But don't bring harm. That's right. That's right. And here we go. People in the chat in Nubia are, are chiming in and having this conversation about what capitalism is and isn't and sharing. And it's a beautiful thing because, you know, folks who are not on the Nubia side understand that, that this is an organic conversation where we're all coming up with the same conclusions. But we're approaching it with, like you said, the, the brick is a metaphor. Bring your whole self. When you bring your whole self, that is the most valuable thing that will ever exist is the self. Yeah. All Everything else is a proxy for it. But yeah. Imagine us building something and your brick doesn't have straw and you're in the middle. You're somewhere towards the base. <laughs> We're going to see that limit, that granite. And we build in, That's you right. know, and you got that one, your one brick in there it starts to crumble year to end. Mm. Like if we think of ourselves that way, I'm I'm here to hold up the bricks above me. Yes. And make sure that I don't crumble so that the whole structure comes down. Then you would want to come in asking yep. yourself every day, what am I contributing? That's right. That's right. And if you can't right now, it's okay. It's okay to sit and form and make sit sure you got enough straw. Yeah, that's that's a that's a brick too. I mean, I can't tell you. I mean <laughs> You know, I, that's we like. I do like the fact that we got our earth tones on, huh? Yeah, we are. We are. We are. I didn't have this shirt this time yesterday because I like I, 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 we talked last night. I, I walked into the uh, the Apple store in Chinatown in DC to look for anything I might need in terms of attachment or plug or something because when we go overseas, I'm the tech. I got to make sure everything is there for the PowerPoints and then streaming and recording all that. So I, I I thought I had it, but, you know, I was down there. So let me go. And the concession the District of Columbia made to the behemoth that is Apple is that we'll let you renovate the Carnegie Library, which is a beautiful old library right there across from the convention center, which was supposed to be the University of the District of Columbia. All of this is displacing people. But uh, the concession was Apple, you can have the first floor 
as your expansive signature Apple store in Washington, D.C. And you but you will renovate the entire building. They said no problem. And the top floor will be the D.C. History uh, Society. It said, OK. So when you go upstairs, you see all this beautiful history of Washington, D.C. And there's a little bookstore in the corner. So when I got up to the top floor, I saw a uh, sister. How you doing, sis? Karen Harris, who works in public engagement and education for the D.C. History Center, who is here with us. And she took me through that. They got an exhibit. They did. I did a film screening last screen last night on being the 51st state and the fight for to 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 stop displacement of people who are unhoused. Beautiful, beautiful thing. And as I'm standing in the bookstore, I said, what is this Douglas Commonwealth shirt? You see, she said, oh, that's what we're going to change the name to Washington, D.C. That way we don't have to change the D.C. It's going to be Douglas Commonwealth. So that's the name (laughs) of the district. But my point is, she told me, tell you, tell Karen Hunter. I don't miss anything (laughs) and how much I love her. My point is value. You can't put a price tag on that. She and the young sister who she had in there, who uh, um, is her bookstore manager. I mean, they got the place packed out with black books. I saw several books that we've mentioned because they're ordering books and putting them in. Where where does that show up on a cash register? Where does that show up in a quantitative analysis? We can't even imagine. So anyway, Karen has and the people at DC History said hello. Hi, hi, Karen. What a beautiful name. What a beautiful name, no question. As as I was processing uh, today, I was thinking about, you know, there's been people that, oh, you should have a million people looking at this or following you or blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, the kind of work that we are doing may not show up for 10 or 20 years. It's like an oak tree, you expecting it to produce fruit, uh, acorns, shade, you know, lo- you know, firewood overnight. And, you know, we also don't have the momentum of patience to to know that things take time to take root. I I recognize the 400 year assault on our psyche, our memory, our 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 morality, our, our ancient morality. It's gonna take longer than uh, uh, three years, and we are three years old. And I was saying how wild it is that there something that didn't exist three years ago, Nubia with a K. With a K. People calling themselves Nubians is wild to me and wow. meaning it right like it means something right. and you know when somebody walks up i'm a nubian they're saying something and making a de- declaration that's about right. something that didn't exist three years ago that's right. at all that's right and it and it's a it's a name that signifies something it's not it's, we're not we're not dealing with mega church we know that we're talking about something where people have you know and like i said in office hours on monday night when i uh got to lamert park last Saturday and, and ran and the first person I saw was one of my former students. I'm walking up to the park. And um when I saw him, I'm like, oh what's going on, man? You want we started talking. But then the second person I saw, Brother Hines, is here. He's a Nubian. He's a Nubian. And we started talking and then I met I ran to all these other people who watching class who listen to you through the week substantial overlap of course who are who are in nubia who are nubians and this is in los angeles and then of course and then you know shout out to melina abdullah and her whole crew out there in black lives matter la um they had you know the 10th anniversary so miss fulton was there sabrina fulton number of other people elaine brown um cornell west and his wife were there so i'm sitting there with cornell just sitting there talking with the three of them and he said hey man i gotta come back to Nubia, we we were talking. I said, man, Karen was just saying that we were just talking about that, picking up the music thing. She said, we got to get this. He said, anytime. Look, I said, hey, little man, you running for president? Like you said last night, we were talking. You said we'll be here. 
just he's okay okay but he was so fired up about this space and it wasn't you know cornell love everybody if the devil called he said hey brother devil no nah, this was not that if you know cornell you know he's gonna be like that but then when he's having another kind of conversation the energy shifts just slightly and then this conversation we the impact we are having all the cats in the nation all the folk who were out there, Faraji Muhammad, I saw my man Faraji, it's the first time I've seen him since he moved from the East Coast. I mean, the flags, Baba Flag, uh, Mama Suzanne Flag, everybody who was out there, Makeda Kumasi, whose son, Jehudi, is, came all the way back over here for something that's going on in Howard in the School of Business. He's a senior in high school. All of them in this space right now. They're watching right now. They're in this space right now. And for those of you who are watching on YouTube later or whatever, please understand oh, I, I just I, I went live in uh because you know secretly we got a narrative uh YouTube channel. I was like, well, let's go live and narrative, let's see what happens. Oh but, yeah, so we got some people in there. Hey Sean and Larry and, okay. I didn't... and uh the guy whose first name uh, has a you and a dog in it. I'm not gonna say your name, maybe you should change it, I don't know. But uh Spencer and all of the folks <laughs> that are there, lovely lady three three seven one 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 seven seven. Yeah, there are people in right now, just you know, because I was like, What well, you you join newbie uh narratives uh YouTube channel, then you also part of that and okay. on some level. So let's see what happens. I love it. See that sporadically, that's but uh, I love it. Yeah, but I was also thinking, you know, as we as we continue to do this work, you know, like what what happens next, you know, like for for all of the you know people that are out there. And the great thing is, it's not tied to a god, to a flag, right? You know, but, but people need to belong to something greater than themselves that feels pure. Like it's not perfect because we are not perfect. No, we're know, human. We are human. But but the intent, like Tiffany Alice's intent, not a hundred percent of her four four year olds learned how to read, but she got damn close. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. So so it's got to be the intent. So I'm looking forward to having to see what what develops from this. You know, as we watch the world blow up uh, and people try to capitalize off of fears and hatred, like that J Jason uh, Aldean dude. Yeah, let's talk. Let's, 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 what do you think about? Oh, I should mention what I think about Ellie before we go to him because he's there, and that is uh, um, uh, Derek Caldwell Walls, who is the daughter of Ben Caldwell. I got a chance. The flags took me over in Heinz. Spent some time in there. Uh, what is it called? Chaos, Chaos Center, K A O S, Chaos Network. They have something called Sankofa City, where they're thinking about virtual reality. And so they're partnering with the University of Southern California. But Ben Caldwell is a legend. Everybody look him up. He's part of the L.A. Rebellion. He and Holly went to school together. He wasn't there. She was there. Dara was there. And they call him like the, the rock of Lemert Park. So I, I'm, I'm just mentioning that because they're here, too. And I could I, I did not know. I said, Ben Caldwell, the legendary Ben Caldwell. She said, yeah, I'm at Dara. I said, oh, wow. I said, Sankofa City. She said, yeah, you were highly. He said, of course, highly. And my dad went to school together. This world is small and expansive. These Everybody out here fighting these fights on television and social media. But you know what? Go ahead. Y'all do that. These, these clean glasses of water. And they are, they are building something. They got this virtual reality thing. They got this tech stuff. And that brick, when that brick runs up with this brick, the animation um, and the stuff, it's right there this isn't theoretical i mean like everybody's like okay i'm coming anyway so yeah let's let's talk about this uh making georgia food 
I yeah. saw you play Sunny uh, on the show. <laughs> she said all of the things. Like you know, sometimes you don't have to say a thing if somebody already said a thing. So just play the. Just let's listen to the people that are saying the things that need to be said. I don't have to say what she said because she said it. Okay. Uh, also, in in the art, because I just wanted to spend a little time as we work on. We're working on books, and we have an animation team that we're building out. And uh, because I, like Tiffany, I care more about the the babies than I do about the adults. I'm just gonna be transparent about that. Mm. Some of y'all, you know. Uh, are uh, you know the babies are you know easier to 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 craft into great people than to unlearn something is better to learn something. I I just that's my preference in teaching. Yeah. But uh, so we're working more on what we can build for young people and giving them the 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 tools. But as we're doing that, I'm also thinking about music because I'm getting into that space and I'm because over beats we we've, we've learned that messages can be delivered. I mean, whether it's Haitian revolution or, you know, um, how to walk around naked. No question. No question. In fact, I was, I was talking to Chuck D Saturday. He was there oh. and talking about the fact that you and I, that conversation we had last week about the parents and he, we were talking about his mother just that quick. He said, yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, so, I mean, like you said, the music, no, if you got something to say, that delivery system is undefeated. So, so what do we do with a man who willfully put out a song which i'm not going to play or name basically empowering empowering um white folk that have nothing better to do and no development of self to uh basically wish a wish a person would come into their community hmm. but so yesterday the ancestors got him because um he was performing <laughs> performing the song and uh had a heat heat situation, heat exhaustion, had to run off the stage, Dr. Carr, mid-song. Had what, to what run went off the stage. They ran him off the stage. He had to run off the stage and then cancel the rest of the show. And oh. Man, but, but he's used to running, you know, as my man Soma Show told us. It, it was 20, what, 2016 when they had that mass shooting? Was was that 2016 in Vegas? In Vegas? You reminded me. No, I think it's more recent. Isn't it? Was it? I think 2017. Hold on. Let me let me look this no, up. I, yeah, October October first, 2017. Uh, a a a 64 year old man from Nevada opened fire on a crowd on route uh, attending the Route 91 Harvest Festival, which was on the Vegas Strip, in Nevada. He uh, from his 32nd floor suite in the Mandalay Bay Hotel. He fired a thousand bullets killing more than 60 people on 413. It was the deadliest to this day, I think, the deadliest uh shooting um mm. ever in our in our well besides wars, of course. Um mm. he 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 inflicted a wound and killed himself. Um but you know who was on the stage at 10 o'clock because this happened at 10.05 October 1st, 2017 at 10 o'clock Jason Aldean was on the stage. And you know what Jason did? He didn't take out his granddaddy's gun. He yeah. ran. He ran. Yeah. He ran. Man. He ran while all of the while all of the people there to see him got yeah. mowed down. He booked it out of there as he should, because you know it's dangerous out there. In the I street. mean, I, I would definitely have been running too, uh, but I wouldn't record songs about what you're gonna do in a small town. And then when people check you on, you say that's not what I meant. That sounds like a punk. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, he's a punk. He's a punk because he you kind of kind of feels that way when you. Didn't mean that, really. That's what you say when somebody you've been talking smack to come up and say, let's dance, and you say, no, I ain't what I meant. At that point, you can't say nothing else. 
But as people are saying in the chat, the downloads are up. I see he's over 12 million uh, views on YouTube. He was at well, not, Thursday. Not, yeah, we don't even need to. No, no, no. I mean, I'm only I'm only mentioning it because you know his his uh, his kin, his his group, his crew are rallying, and they should. I mean, people think I'm being serious, but I'm saying it tongue firmly, planted firmly in cheek when I say I celebrate. Of course, I don't celebrate. Of course, I don't celebrate. But I acknowledge the fact that some of us are going to have to be doused with cold water enough times to wake up. This man recorded a primal scream. And, you know, the fact that it is where it is on, on the charts is uh is one thing what's the young brother um justin jones i guess is the, the rep out of nashville in the tennessee state legislature uh there was an article in the tennessean my hometown newspaper yesterday a columnist that said that justin jones and these people on the left as they call them the left you know left and right such convenient labels for really don't mean much but huh. uh, you know he said that you're reading too much into it. You're, 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 you're reading tea leaves. That's not what the words say. Okay, how you read this, son? And I'm not going to name the colonists because the fact that he can put words next to each other is a minor miracle. But, you know, he uh, he said, you know, you're reading too much into the fact that the video, which is what triggered this uh, kind of renewed interest in this, was filmed at the Maury County Courthouse. And you would have to be a scholar or go looking for it to find out what happened at the Maury County Courthouse. Well, I'm not accusing Jason Aldean of being a scholar, but I'll say this. He's not from Columbia, Tennessee. He's from Macon, Georgia. Why did he film it in front of that courthouse? Why, why, did, why did he do that? Doctor? I don't know. I don't know what's in his mind, but I do know. that. So, um, so let, me, let me ask you. So, and, and again, this goes to our artists as well. Mm -hmm. And we, we talked briefly about there's money, there's a bucket of money for you to call women bitches and hoes and promote drug use and violence and all of the things that you don't actually experience. Or maybe you do, but here's the money. Here's the money. Go do that. Go do that. More money for you. Is there money? Well, obviously there is because the downloads are up um, because he made a conscious decision. He had another song about hometown that was totally different from this. Sure. So the climate is kind of and when you talk about carjacking and things and you know coming in and slapping people and spitting on cops when i see that i see january 6th absolutely that's a small town called you know, dc right and that mass shooting that man was melanemic he was white as hell come on now um, shooting all of those mostly white people right so who who's he direct and why why the thinly veiled like welfare queen willie horton like you're, you're delivering a message my my thing is why what what are you trying to really, you know, get going here through this music? And you know you're doing it. What do you think the goal is? Woo! I think, you know, the goal is to hold on to what they think they have. And by they, I mean the white nationalists. And by the white nationalists, I mean those who would love for the United States of America to be an ethnostate. But having lost that fight before it even started, because it was never an ethnostate, have this imaginary country that they wish they could go back to, except the country that they want to go back to never existed. What they're trying to hold on to, interestingly enough, we talked about a minute ago in terms of money as a proxy for this, is value. They're bringing their bricks. And by they, I mean those who are common uh, enemies of our common humanity. Not because they 
have to be. But because as James Baldwin would say, or Dan Black, they won't give up whiteness. If you would just give up the type of identity that harms others, you can hold on to the rest of it, including your interesting improvisation on your eavesdropping on Africans that you call country music. You can hold on to it. <laughs> you, can, you can hold on to your version of our blues, but and we ain't even mad at you. But you should, I mean, you know, Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash can walk up in there, June Carter Cash can walk up in there. And when you look at June Carter Cash and the Carter family, they are absolutely apprentices of African stringed instrument players. You go through the history of the Carter family. Johnny Cash, I mean, had Louis Armstrong on his show. And I mean, we good with them. It's cool. Little Jimmy Dickens, you want to call, even them old school, grand old Opry types. I grew up in Nashville. We can coexist. What we're not going to do, though, is have you talk smack and gin up these fake country people. Because it's a lot of small towns. My mother's from a small town outside of Phoenix City, Alabama. Chester, Pennsylvania is a small town. Uh, that's south of Philadelphia. Try what you just sang in a small town overwhelmingly black like Chester. You want to dance, brother? Do you really want to? College Park is a small town. Georgia is small. Do you really want to have this conversation? They're holding on to something that doesn't exist. And and is it tied to like what they're doing in Florida and reframing the narrative around slavery. They tried this in Texas, you know, about a maybe a dozen years ago with the textbook saying that enslaved people, maybe it was eight years ago, enslaved people were migrants. They came here, you know, yeah. and they tried to put that in the textbooks where Texas, you know, is the textbook capital of the world. And now the, the music, you're you're trying to frame this narrative and then Florida saying, okay, let's change the history so that we can do what? Like, so the next generation of blacks, whites, others come in here with a different understanding of what this is. Cause to your point, you know, you don't have country music without that banjo, without that guitar and without those blues that come from us, right? And there's no, and it's not even about black people started, we did everything. Come on now. But, But we're not saying, because you're not really white, period. So it's all, it's for everybody. Like right. I can't. There, there's a brand, well, brand new, maybe in the last year on the history of African presence and country music. I know I have it. So it's either University of Chicago Press or University of Illinois. I'd have to look for it. But Laurent Dubois' book uh, on the banjo is pretty decent. It's called The Banjo uh, America's African Instrument. Of course, there's more than one. But yeah, hey, cultures bleed. We're not tripping. But the, I think they are, they are, they've pressed the, pedal to the floor of something that's going to disintegrate and, and before this tracy chapman number one song um fast car which 99.9 percent i'm sure the white folk that listen to it don't know that the black woman's getting all of the money all of it i love it all of it she even got she even got the samples when nice and smooth says sometimes i ride fast sometimes i ride slow <laughs> doom, 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 doom. no question look tracy keep keep well but see, there you go. There's the there's the question of value. Value is counted in money. It's quantitative in one way in a capitalist society. But then value is the intangible. Value is what we're doing. Value is the force by just the order of magnitude multiplying force of our conversations. That is That has value. In fact, um, we just passed the 25th anniversary of the Afro-American Civil War uh, Monument and Museum here in Washington, D.C., uh, the man, SNCC veteran, Morehouse man, 
uh, son of Georgia who spent considerable time in Mississippi, then moved here with Marion Barry and that whole SNCC army back in the 60s and has been there ever since, was a former city councilman representing Northwest DC, including Howard University and U Street and all that, and who 25 years ago, after a number of years of organizing and putting things together, unveiled the African-American Civil War uh, monument, 209 plus thousand names of people of African descent, men of African descent who fought in the United States Army and Navy in the United States Civil War. And one of the reasons that he did this, Dr. Frank Smith, who's who I'm talking about, Dr. Smith, one of the reasons that Frank did that, Baba Frank did that, was he said, now it's etched in the wall. All those names are in the wall, and you'll see the monument there. When you get off the uh, metro, the yellow line there, uh, U Street Cardozo stop. When you come up out of the subway, it's sitting right there, that full arc. And he said, the reason I did this, one of the reasons that we did this, is that you'll never be able to say you don't know who Black fought in the Civil War. Everybody's name is on there. Michelle Obama's ancestor is on there. All these folks are there. And uh, on, I think it was Tuesday night, my man James Morgan had asked me, uh, to participate in the 25th anniversary. And here I was rushing home after class to get dressed, thinking I got to go back down to the museum. But they're they're not, they're putting the finishing touches on this huge expansion at the Grimsky, the Grimke School, which is the new home for the museum, adjacent to the old home. And it is huge. You know, Frank being a, a longtime SNCC member and kind of like one of the central members of the circle of trust that is the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee Veterans who are still with us uh, anytime snick comes to dc they usually have meet they usually meet over at at the museum but i'm bringing it up because uh uh in talking with don chitty dr chitty who is the director of education at the museum once i got home i texted uh james like okay all right so i'll be back down and he said no it's virtual and of course at that point all of my uh stressors lowered because I'm thinking I got to go back and forth. Okay, no, okay. Oh, so I'm sitting at home. <sighs> okay, I sit here. And so uh, Dawn Chitty, Dr. Chitty, who was the director of education, who kind of moderated. I'm going through all this to get to Rachel Boynton. Rachel Boynton's a filmmaker uh, of some no uh, note. Uh, she made that film that probably a lot of folk have seen and it's been played on loop on MSNBC. I think it was on M CNN at some point, uh, Civil War. Or who do you think we are? Uh, she spent a day, she and her crew spent a day on Howard's campus back in, I don't know, it was pre-pandemic. So 2018, 2019 or something, follow me around. Shout out to Kim Worthy, uh, Ms. Ms. Worthy, who was DC Teacher of the Year, who brought her high school students that day to campus. And we had a conversation about reconstruction. And so she filmed me. So I'm in the film, you know, interspersed with a lot of things. But I'm coming to this point. At the center of this film, for those of you who've seen it, there are two classrooms. There's one in Connecticut and one in Mississippi. And they're both approaching the question of the Civil War and Reconstruction, but from two different perspectives, how it's being taught. You can imagine in Mississippi, a Black classroom in a Black state. Shout out to the Mississippi uh, Black Caucus and Mississippi State Legislature for banging on uh, these, uh, well, these killers, uh, these assaulters in the sheriff's office down there who are uh, or trying to, you know, get away with beating up black people in jail. But anyway, I went through all that to say, I'm going to get too deep into the film. As we were getting ready to go live and let folk in to the uh, webinar, Rachel, you know, we exchanged pleasantries, hadn't talked to each other in, in some time. Hey, Greg, hi, Rachel, what's going on? Yeah, She said, 
So the more things unfold, it's been pre-COVID since I talked with her. She said, you know, the more things unfold in this country, the more I think you're right. What do you mean? Well, you said, you know, you don't have any investment in this framework. I'm kind of paraphrasing, but that's my position. So she knows my position well. And I said, no, I don't. I don't give a damn about this framework. In fact, I'd prefer it be renegotiated. She said, yeah, renegotiated. She said, I, I, the more I see, the more I think you're right. It's going to have to be renegotiated. And then she asked the question that you just asked, Professor Hunter, in a, in a variation. What does that look like? What does renegotiating it look like? I said, well, one of the things, and I don't know. I don't even know if I'm necessarily invested in renegotiating it because I think the nation state is fraying as a concept globally. It ain't very long. It doesn't look like it's going to last much longer. In other words, our common humanity is going to be the thing that saves us as a species. Every Monday night at office hours, for those of you not in newbie, you know, Baba Oz is always bringing the international flavor in and saying, we should talk about this. We should raise this. We see what's going on in France. I mentioned what's going on in Kenya. Somebody in Nubia tonight, right now mentioned what's going on in South Africa. We talked about the South African elections Monday night, if you remember, and, and, and what's going on. We uh, played a clip that uh, Baba um, Oz had, had, had found of Julius Malema. Whatever you think about the economic freedom fighters, one thing he said is it is the fight over natural resources in Africa that is problematic. And if we control the natural resources, we can have regional and continent-wide unity and trade with each other and emerge out of this. But these parasites keep coming in. They want, as John Clark would say, they want everything out of Africa and they don't want to pay for it. And also all these things are going on at the same time. So when uh, when Rachel asked me that question, I never have a good answer to that question other than we have to build the we's at the local level. And she knew I was going to say that because she said it before I could. And then we went into the webinar and carried that conversation into the 25th anniversary conversation we had about the Civil War. I'm thinking about the Florida standards. I'm coming to that in a second. But the she said, well, you said it's got to be local. I said, yeah, it does have to be local. But we shouldn't think local in the strict geographical sense only. Yeah, try that in a small town. Yeah, we're going to dance with our little friend. Um, the question of local, in my mind, I think of it as much as intimate as possible. Like what we're doing right now, which we wouldn't have been doing in this form or with this scope or with this reach or with this fast interaction that is just bonding wouldn't have been doing it if not for covid covid drove everybody indoors and then we wove together a foundation that is now unassailable that is now taking has taken root and the roots are deepening and as the sprouts emerge above ground and people take note some people who take a note i don't think know how deep these roots go Others who are taking note are very clear about how deep these roots go. And I'm getting evidence of that every time I step outside for two reasons. One, everybody who's already in this conversation is reinforcing the fact that when we see each other in the quote unquote physical world, the real world, so to speak, although this is real too, the physical world, it just reinforces. It's almost like, like I said, when I was in LA, you know, walking around with Heinz and them, and every other person I'm meeting is in this. This is Los Angeles. This ain't DC. This is not Chicago. It's not Atlanta. This is not New York City. All the places I've been in since May. Just play. This ain't Philly. And you see, wow, this is the real life. And and what it also shows is the real life connections 
are way beyond those of us who gather together on this regular basis like a metronome day after day in Nubia, day after day coming to narrative, week after week on these weekends coming in. Those connections are there. Now, so I just said that when Rachel uh, Boynton asks me, you know, what do we do? Well, first thing we do is got to have a we. And Rachel Boynton is committed to the we. She's committed to a human we, a white woman who is committed to a different type of society. And I wish all the best. I'm right there with her in terms of building a better society. But I'm coming in as an African, which means this is my foundation. What I'm not going to do is chase attention and, and, in, and in chasing kind of this question of fame or notoriety, chase something and in exchange, give up what needs to be said. Because it's kind of chic now to talk a little smack, you know, talk a little smack on MSNBC, make a little bit of a face on CNN, although Bakari Sellers, poor brother, I understand, brother, you just trying to square a circle and it can't be squared. You got to do what you got to do. I understand. I'm not mad at none of these people who kind of try to, they want to be, because you think that somehow something you're going to say is going to change somebody's mind. It's not. Um, It's important, even this, and what we see something like Netflix or something like these plat, quote unquote platforms that get all these eyeballs. When something like They Clone Tyrone comes on, you're looking at a, a black writer. In fact, this is today's uh, art section of today's New York Times. Sci-fi stereotypes, and satire. That's Joel Taylor, the director and co-writer of the Netflix movie They Cloned Tyrone. Footnote, uh, shout out to John Boyega, Jamie Foxx, and Tiana Paris, who are hilarious. <laughs> I don't know, Prof, do you? <laughs> I, I, I know we get, you know, yeah, I mean, but they, I mean. Oh, for, first of all, John Boyega, <laughs> might be one of the top five you know i don't even want to put categories on it or, or sure, places sure. but he's really good he's and busy. jamie well jamie jamie's jamie <laughs> and tiana paris i think is underrated as well but now we're seeing her in these marvel you know yeah tiana paris about to make all the money Yes. Well, 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 no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We should hope because the more I'm reading and hearing and listening and sitting back and soaking in about this writer strike and this actor, you really do see the inequity in Hollywood. This thing is crazy. Yo. You know, I, I brought a Bob Iger and all of I, I think I went down a list uh Rahm Emanuel's brother and all, all of the people like I, I named the top 10 and they've all made over 250 million dollars over the last five years while actors and i feel like as an actor and i, I used to say the worst thing to be in the world is famous and broke because mm. there's an expectation on you and you're not going to necessarily be out there talking about i'm not making any money right because anybody gonna believe it you are right. crazy how could you not have any money right and and when when that brother was uh you know elvin from the cosby show at trader joe's yes. and woman tried to clown him I often say, you know, most of the people that listen to me on the radio make more money than a lot of these actors. And you think because, you know, they may get a big check. You get a big check maybe every six months. You may get a big check, you know, and if you're working in Atlanta, you know, you're not even union wage. So you you might be making what regular people make in an office, but you get to do your art. So you're it's a, it's a trade-off. But we put this pressure on folk to live up to an ideal because it's Hollywood. And you got to live in Hollywood, which is expensive, or New York, if you're on Broadway, you're not making any money. 
Nope. But these these studio execs making all the money and they're playing a game of chicken right now because they know what they're paying people and they're going to wait it out because they got it. all of the money and the time. So and that's they're like, we're going to break them. We're going to break them. That's what they're doing, huh? Because they yeah. got the money, right? And, and, and because our taste, they have given us, they fed us this reality show bull crap for the last 20 years. Our appetite is that we will eat all of the crap. And we've shown that. So they don't even have to spend any money on these shows. So, and, and I'm not even going to bring up Tyler Perry. But I just did. No, I mean, but you no, got to spend money. You ain't got to spend money. You don't have to do right. anything. And we're going to eat all of the crap. And they know it. So that's right. That's right. I mean, Greta Ger Gerwig and uh, what's the what's the woman that's playing Barbie? Uh, white Barbie. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, white, white Barbie. Gendered Barbie. I mean, I shouldn't say white. I had to say white Barbie. Yeah, say black Barbie. Uh, oh my gosh, I know her name, but you just now made that's me. All right, that's all right. That. I, I just call her by her roles with her. That's, you know how old black people do. You know Fred Sanford. That's not. His <laughs> <laughs> you know Harley Quinn. <laughs> anyway, I mean, you. Know, I read the review of Barbie in in the Times the other day, and the reviewer wanted to like the movie, did like the movie, but said, you know, the studio's in bed with Mattel. This is a long commercial, basically. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, and so she said, Gerwig and, oh, it'll come to one of us, is, in fact, somebody probably put it in the chat. Margot Robbie, thank you. Yes. Yeah, here we are in the I'm chat. Google searching. I know no, it. Cool. You know, the chat is here. Oh, we you had to say it was Will Smith, and I would have came up with it. But exactly. No. But she said, they pushed it about as far as it could go. And then the last line, the last line in the review was maybe next time they make a movie together, they'll have a house of their own, a dollhouse of their own to play in. Because this is a commercial. And I guess they must have launched some kind of uh, federal uh, con congressional campaign or something because they had Kins and Barbies. They had Barbie frames, like you take those pictures and then you put the filter behind you. And they had different senators in in, in the frame. And when I saw Raphael Warnick, God bless uh, Reverend Warnick, say, you know, I'm not a Barbie. People will accuse me. They, they say maybe I would go to Oppenheimer instead of Barbie. But I'm saying that as a kin, we must support. I'm like, why did you? And then I realized it wasn't just him. He just went along. But but the larger point we're raising here, when you don't, when you're out there in, a, in the world, you're part of cultures. All of us bring our culture to the table. But these frameworks, as we think about the, our Africana studies framework, the social structure we find ourselves in is anchored in forces that we have to understand, but we are not those forces. That's why we had to have a governance category. Who are we to each other? So I'm not reading Raphael Warnick as he is to me or to us as he presided on Sunday or at the funeral of, um, uh, 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 of, of Willie Christine Ferris King. I'm not reading him as the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church where they had the, the the day before the kind of tribute to her, the musical tribute to, to Ms. King, to Professor uh, Ferris, that is Professor Ferris, King Ferris, uh, headlined or emceed by the sister, and I forget her name. She's in all Tyler Perry's movies. Uh, she's from Holly Springs, Mississippi. The reason I know that is because my college girlfriend was from Holly Springs. And when I saw her in school days, Charlotte was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's my homegirl. You know, she she's in all the... Uh, in the movies, but I'm saying, I don't know what Tyler Perry pays her. I don't pay her, but I know she's hella famous for all of us. And she's in Atlanta and she was the mistress of ceremony for Christine King Ferris's uh, ritual on Saturday at the Ebenezer Legacy uh, Chapel. And then the following day, Reverend Warnock presided 
and we should pause here and say that I'm sure that's the only the only reason that our friend and brother Freddie Haynes was not in Atlanta is because he is now taken up as president and CEO of Operation Rainbow Push. Uh, shout out Dr. Wright, Jeremiah Wright, Jeremiah Wright sighting in the flesh, sitting there in front of Jesse and all of them on Sunday. That it was happening at the same time. But I'm saying all that to say that that is who we are to each other. Whatever the complicated politics are, whatever the possibilities are, we, Freddie, we wish you the best, bro, because we know that you have the ability to take this thing now and do some other things and add to this momentum. But all that's us. All that's us. When I see that same Reverend Warnock in a circle in front of a Barbie background, I know that's social structure. I don't conflate social structure and governance structure. That's why we had to have an Africana states framework, because if we keep mixing those two, we'll just get frustrated. Looking at this interview with uh, Jewel Taylor, who is the director and co-writer of They Clone Tyrone, it's very interesting. He and his co-writer, uh, Tony Rettenmeyer, who I'm going to assume is not black, but you can sometimes you can't tell by surnames. They uh, helped write Creed II. Space Jam, A New Legacy. Uh, they were classmates in the, at USC in the Graduate Film School of USC. But the Graduate Film School of USC today is not the film school of USC when Haile Garima was out there. It's not the one when Julie Dash was out there. It was not the one when Larry Clark was out there. It's not the one where Charles Burdett was out there. It's not the one as I was talking about Sankofa City when Ed Caldwell was out there. This is now in a period of time where we're living in, in terms of ways of knowing when, let me see if I have, this is in today's Financial Times, when we are literally talking about potentially the end of reading. This is today's Financial Times from the book section. To you see that? Does reading have a future? Does reading have a future? In the era of TikTok and text guzzling AI, there is still room. Is there still room for books? This is a review of two new books, the Gutenberg Parenthesis and uh, the Science of Reading. But the last paragraph grabbed my grabbed my faith, grabbed my attention. He said, "Oh no, no, let me go to the paragraph before that." Both these books were written. No, no, <laughs> I'm gonna go back up or, or further than that. According to the National Assessment of Educational Progress, 17 U.S. states witnessed the decline in literacy between 2017 and 2019. How many of them states is in the old Confederacy, you want to bet? Jason, we're coming to you, Jason. We, we're coming to you, Jason. Try that in a small classroom. Anyway, uh, in the age of YouTube and TikTok, is reading still seen as an essential skill? Tiffany Aliche thought so, which is why you got to get these children reading. I want to talk about my experience in class this week in a second, um, including uh, my afternoon class, which is with uh, something called the Car Scholars at Howard. These are freshmen in the, in the sciences. Also, we added some students from the social sciences and the humanities this year. So I got about, we have about maybe 45, myself, Mario Beatty, Lethia Watkins, Josh Myers, we team teach the class. This was my week to be there directly. And I was responsible for the week. But uh, one young lady who raised here, folk from Haiti. She went to school both places. She said she could read by two. She learned Haitian Creole. She learned French in Haiti, came here, picked up English. And when she started school, she realized that many of the students either couldn't read or just begin to read. She says, I'm already on my third language. What are y'all been doing? Then the chorus started. Young children from Jamaica, young children uh, who are parents are from Jamaica, young people from Baltimore, 
in Atlanta whose parents came through and families came through enslavement here in the United States, but whose parents were either teachers or valued education differently. These are students who have been seen as outsized academic performers since they were little. But increasingly, the vast majority of us are probably going to sound like the actors in They Clone Tyrone. So when the brother wrote the script, he went to the same film school that Caldwell and Garima went to, but it's a very different concept of writing because it's a very different concept of reading. And now he's talking about maybe even reading is about to go away. Returning to the article, he says, if it is seen as essential skill, how do we how do we enable the skill of reading and the comprehension of what is read to be accessible to all, especially to the young, for whom reading will critically affect their life chances. Next paragraph. Both these books were written before the dramatic arrival of large language models such as ChatGPT, which have now entered the space of both reading and writing. According to some, these, watch this, this is the, this is the thing to make you sit up. Idiocracy for real, she be free. I just looked down in the chat. Says, uh, According to some, these will take away the need for humans to read and understand texts at all. Letting the algorithm take the strain. The place of more traditional reading looks set to be challenged further by the extreme datification of reading that AI has enabled where texts are read by computers. Now, Prof, I was thinking about you the other day. I was reading an article. I forget. Maybe it's was, maybe it was in the New Yorker. But anyway, it was an article about the concern now even further exacerbated in not just the publishing industry, but the news industry, because now it's been floated that AI can serve as the first wave of research and reporting. And then reporters will just be free to take what AI does and then go out and back up the research, extend the research. And they are, you talk about nervous. What would that look like? How would you report out an article when you get a story? Or uh, this has been pitched in the room and then you go out to write a story, but AI gonna do your first draft. I'm trying to figure that out. Oh man, oh, man. Um, no, no, I had to. I mean, did you see the video of the first, um, and I think it's out of India, the first AI TV reporter? I'm going to look for it and we're, I'm going to play it for us because it's wild, right? And as I'm assessing, because, you know, semester starts back up and I have, you know, a dozen students in my yeah. journalism class. I also have a talk radio class that I teach. And um, I have this space called The Hub that I've just, I created. So I, I should, probably shouldn't reveal too much. No, no, no. I created it because I know that we need a news arm at some point. And, you know, this is a long vision because also we need to shape what news looks like, right? Because right now it's clicks and algorithms. So I like reject that, you know, mm. and, and it's again, it was self-funded, got, you know, anyway, I'm, I'm not going to get into the details, but I'm like, what will journalism look like in 20 years? What should it look like in 20 years? And how do we train the journalists to go out and bring the stories? Because it's really about curation, right? There are things happening right now all over. You just brought up Kenya, which I didn't even know about when we first started. I'm like, Kenya's in the streets. I know that France is in the streets. I didn't know that Kenya was in the streets too. I know LA's in the streets. Like, okay, do we have somebody in Kenya to report? We know we, we're, so I'm testing it out with Brazil because you know we have somebody in Brazil. Absolutely. We have a couple of documentaries that we, we're commissioning, but also he reports from yes. Brazil. So when the election happened, we had live coverage in the hub.news 
from Brazil on the streets from the people who look like us. So can we do that in every country, in every city? Like, and what does that look like, right? Because now I'm going back to Charles Lowe. Yes. We know, we know about World War II through that lens because we had journalists who were trained in the sciences, who were trained in history, who were trained. They weren't just people following somebody else's facts or being fed narratives or having, you know, somebody in PR give them the story. They were actually good. And investigative reporting has died for the last 20 years. They're not putting any money into it. So we must then put money into investigating, right? We must pull those threads, right? And center it on history. So I'm working on that. That's a whole, that's a whole festival. So when you say what does AI and how do we use AI? Um, yeah. I'm 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 gonna test that out, but that's why you have classrooms like a lab, right? We, we're gonna test it out. We're gonna test it out. And again, like Tiffany Alice, we got to go into the classroom with a purpose. Like we got to train these kids up to go out and help us build the world we want to live in, not just give them facts and stats that they can then regurgitate for test scores. For that's what right. now? What are we doing? Well, so yeah. eliminated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what 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 is the ultimate purpose? I mean. When you when you said that about Tiffany Leachie, it really reinforced the fact that I know for the years I worked in Philly with the school district directly as administrator, as I said, they loosed me to basically be in the schools. I would go and hang out with the low grade teachers, kindergarten teachers, first grade teachers, because those are the master teachers. If you really understand educators, as we know, by the time they get to us, you can tell when the children have had master teachers as young, because when they get to us, we can't reverse engineer that in, in, in a week or a month or right. even a semester. Right. And right. then you realize this is, a, in fact, you know, coming out of class Monday. Now, not, these are the STEM students. They're in the sciences and they are top performers. They've had these are the young people that they put on the front cover of stuff. But they have all these high school students. As I said, Jehudi is there from L.A. And they're, at least they're from all over the country in the school of business. We're using that building because they got the most classrooms in one place. All these young people, I'm coming out of the class and i think i had on one of i had on an atlanta university t-shirt and so this young guy from chicago high school students uh asked me about the shirt so we started talking and then this other young lady overhears us and she comes up you know what this child said and i took it right back in the classroom the next day with these science students she said i'm in this business program um but i'm really interested in science i heard y'all in there and I said, I wish you would. It's at the same time. You could be welcome if you could come in. But then I thought to myself, but I, and then she said, I really want to do something. She's going to be a senior this fall in high school, 17 years old. And I went back in the room and I said, now everybody in this room is on full scholarship, not just bachelors, masters through your PhD. Y'all are funded for physics. You're funded to get MD, PhDs. This child is coming in this space which is ostensibly what we say HBCs are before, so she can explore her options. They've already tracked her in a business thing. It's not really kind of what she's interested in. She might want to do biomedicine. Who knows? I don't know her GPA. I don't know her test scores. I'm assuming from the conversations I was having that they didn't score for that. And I'm saying, if she walks in this room, I told you, if she walks in this room with y'all, y'all the same age. She, you're a year older than her, most of y'all. If she comes in this room and thinks, okay, this is what I would rather do, we live in a society where some people would say it's too late for her. Why? Because she can't get us. Because she should have thought about that in the eighth grade. What kind of society do we live in, prof? Where children? I mean, <laughs> at seventeen, somebody that tracked you maybe for the rest. And that, you know what? And to their credit, these young people took that prompt 
And when I left there Wednesday, I'm gonna tell you right now, from Wednesday to right now, here me sitting here with us, I am completely blown and torn apart by the conversation I had with those 18-year-old science, humanity, and social science students on Wednesday. I don't know that I'm ever gonna be my contempt for this funky hierarchy that we have created. I didn't think it could get worse. Oh, but it's worse after listening to them. Because I listened to them talk about the pressure of high stakes teenagers. The only black in this one. The private school, the the, sub, the scholarship to the white space, but everybody in my neighborhood is from the hood. And, the, and, then, and they are furious because they don't want to leave none of their friends behind. But they understand, they, they experience the high stakes. They said they don't want the rest of our people. They want me, you, these other 30, and the rest of them go to hell. This is who Jason Aldean is whipping up a war. This is a class war. And it's a, it's a war within our community. You, you shouldn't be 18 years old having that kind of pressure. And if it hadn't been for that child coming up and being said she's interested in science instead of business, I would never have taken that back in there. And once that conversation got started, we're going to talk about the athletes in a minute, but I mean, because that's a morning class and that had a whole other, the expectations we put on our children and education is not education. No, it, it's, no, it's, 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 it's business. It's capitalism. It's capitalism. Yes. You no. Know, and as you're talking, I'm thinking Freddie Haynes. Hi. Hi, Pastor Haynes. Is he yeah. here? No, I'm just, I'm, I'm, he'll be here because I, I evoked his name and um, also uh, our sister Cassie, uh, Cassie, Cassie Davis, uh, who you were talking about. I, you know, as I think about Freddie Haynes, Pastor Hayes taking over Rainbow Push, which was foundationally created by the Black Panthers and was a brainchild of Fred Hampton, which was completely about making sure that everybody understood that this was a war on class and on, on, on not race. That's right. That race is a trick bag. And if you get caught up in it, then you become part of the problem. It's about the 1% versus the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. And so if if you are poor and you don't have opportunities and you are poor and you don't have opportunities, and you happen to be from different cultures and you're Italian, you're Irish, you're black, you're all in the same boat as 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 the Bob Igers of the world will see, you know, <laughs> and sure. as the Bezos of the world or the Zuckerbergs of the world, you're in the same, you're 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 to be mined and branded for their yachts and, and bunkers and spaceships to the moon it's we're all in that so if we can divide you then you're not paying attention to what we're doing that's right and you're allowing it right so freddie yeah. haynes has an opportunity to bring rainbow push back to the origins which was to bring education to little kids in places that don't have it right yeah. food programs to 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 people who don't have food Right. No matter what their skin color is, because it's rainbow, That's right. right? Which which has been yeah, whatever. I won't get into the well, rainbow. No, no. But, but even that, right? Now, so, now look in the narrative archive. We had a long conversation about the origins of the Rainbow Coalition yes, we did. with books yes. and annotated. That's right. right. That's but right. I but but now that he's you know newly taken over, let's take it back. Let's go back and remember what it started as, and let's bring it forward. So you know, uh, unless unless there's a fear of what happened to Fred Hampton, but that fear should make us more. Uh, put our foot on the gas and bring more people to the table because you can't kill everybody. You can't, can't kill everybody. And what we're doing is a blow in that direction. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and, and as, as Freddie Haynes would say, you know, find the people who are doing this work. When I think about Olivia and her mom and brother, when she comes in office hours, she's in Chicago. There are there are master educators and Freddie knows that. I mean, they're they in his hometown. They're in the Bay Area. They're in San Francisco. They, I mean, 
And that at, at its best, that's what our organizations have done. They haven't. I was watching uh, Fundi, F-U-N-D-I, which is the documentary that was done on Ella Jo Baker the other night. Uh, Lethia uses it often in class to teach with. And I was watching it. Somebody uploaded it on YouTube again. And I was like, good, because it took me forever to find that DVD back in the day. Actually, the VHS is I'm pointing like it's here. It's in storage, probably deteriorating as we speak. But um, they, they did a tribute to her and it, the, the tribute footage is interspersed throughout the documentary. It's only about an hour. Y'all can find it on YouTube. And near the end, Septima Clark gets up to pay tribute to Ella Jo Baker. And Ms. Clark, of course, just, just the definition of swag, you know, in terms of that cultural meaning making. And she talks about how these organizations didn't know what to do with women. It's a short clip. It ain't more than 45 seconds. Joyce Ladner is the Mrs. Ceremony. I'm going to have to ask uh, Dr. Ladner about that next time I see her. Because the SNCC folk were there. You know, James Foreman, Charlie Cobb, uh, um, Bob Moses, everybody. And they're much younger, obviously. But anyway, I bring it all up to say that Septima Clark was a teacher. And when I think about Esau Jenkins out there in the Sea Islands, in fact, there's a new book. I don't, I'll never be able to find it now. I probably had it about a couple of weeks. I should have read it the minute I put it. Otherwise, it's going to get eaten up by the, uh, I don't worry about it. Anyway, Esau Jenkins and his wife, you know, thinking about how Septima Clark with her citizenship education program or project, uh, Dorothy Cotton, and uh, those who brought that into Southern Christian Leadership Conference, but Mrs. Um, Ms. Clark, and we talked about Septim Clark, so you go back into, again, the narrative archive. Again, I'm just sitting back like, wow, we have really been doing work to, together. But I think about the connection between literacy and freedom work and how, you know, I know Frey Haynes is going to do this. I know Kamathi Nelson and the Shrine of Black Madonna is doing this. I know Frank Reed and Amy Church is doing this, and he's in Florida. That's his district with Edwin Waters and, you know, the, 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 the AME Church HBCUs down there in that district. They are identifying the people who are already doing this work, and like Septima Clark and Ella Jo Baker, you know, Ella Baker said the job of organizers is to put themselves out of a job. And so I'm coming in, and she sends Bob Moses in Mississippi, said, go, go find my friend Amzie Moore. Shout out to Amzie Moore II, who is a Nubian, part of this work, professor at Chicago State University, colleague with Kim Delaney, who's also in here. Freddie Haynes want to do some work in Chicago as part of that Operation Push Granite. He got to go find Kim Delaney and Amzie Moore II and all the educators in Chicago who are already doing this, who are already part of the Rainbow Push family, because we know how these circles are very small. And, and, and that allows us, and, and no doubt that's what he's going to do. And when you go back to the 1970s, it, 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 particularly in, in uh, Operation Breadbasket and then Operation Push, uh, you know, People United to Save Humanity, People United to Serve Humanity, you're going to see this, this curation, this curation of people. And it's across the ideological spectrum. You know, you got people in Chicago, master educators, and it's not a history of Chicago, so I'm going to kind of pause here for a second, but I just think about Everything, you know, Theaster Gates out there on the south side, Stony Island, right, cat a corner from Mosque Maryam from the Nation of Islam. You know, we don't, you know, we can have our internal governance conversations about what is and isn't good, what we do and don't like. But Muhammad University of Islam, there's some master teachers in there. Christine Muhammad, I'm looking at her, Christine Marie Muhammad, who was the uh, the, the principal at 
uh, my, uh, at, the, at uh, Clara Muhammad School. I'm looking at her memoir over there. I'm going to resist the urge to go up and get it because I remember, in fact, that's the one she signed for me when I got it from her just after it came out. And then the people I saw um, over in, in, in L.A. who are in the senior leadership and editors of the Final Call newspaper, Black women. Now, people say, oh, you know, there's patriarchy in the nation of Islam, no doubt. There's male-centeredness, absolutely. And now, go. let's have a conversation with the sisters who are in the nation. Are they all dumb and naive or brainwashed? I don't know if it's going to be that easy. In fact, uh, our Freedom School young people this summer are reading a book, State on Freedom, that I've mentioned it before. Uh, Mama Zahara and Baba Michael Simmons, who were in SNCC, and spent a brief period in the nation of Islam. You know, coming out of when they were in Chicago, then Detroit, they moved to New York. They knew Louis Farrakhan when he was running Temple Number no. Seven in New York. These are not stupid or naive people. They are people trying to work out how do we free ourselves? How do it free us? They were very young. They're in their twenties. Now they are elders teaching a bunch of teenagers that we have every week. Shout out to all the people at the Center for Black Educated Development. I'm Sharif Hines, in particular, in charge of the Freedom School Literacy Project. Our man Sharif El Mecki. You know, we talking about Detroit, Memphis, Camden, and Philly, four cities, and they are tearing this book up again. Wednesday, I came back here. I didn't know whether to rage, cry, go try to go to sleep, but. Those conversations I was having with these students this week at Howard, these students in these programs, these two programs, the student athletes, we get all the freshman athletes, basketball, volleyball, football. In the morning, we, we do an introduction to African States class. And then in the afternoon, we do a version of that class for the STEM students, humanities and social sciences. And on Wednesday, I had to step out and take my 45 minutes to an hour with my freedom school students because we do that virtual thing talking about this book. And that just that just that just opened up a whole nother set of conversations. But I'm saying all that to say this as we kind of resolve this and come into the space, because, again, we, we haven't left uh, either the Florida curriculum or our, our, our little friend, Jason. Um, When I mentioned Jewel Taylor and they clone Tyrone. And if you got if you have the ability to see it, I would say watch it. It is it is in, very interesting. Uh, the reviewer here, Reggie Ugwu, says that the movie wedges heady questions about structural racism, personal autonomy, and search for meaning into a genre package. You know, you're talking about a platform with all these viewers, a platform still trying to turn a profit, a platform, as you say, prof, trying to break the writers. I mean, reading how a writer writes on all these things and how they now let the writers go when they used to be on set, used to be helping people with their, you know, maybe we should make an adjustment in that line or maybe we should, you know, maybe advising on everything from wardrobe to pacing, just, you know, being around. Now the writers are not on the set. The one writer, maybe there's two, but the one writer that's there for sure is the showrunner and maybe the assistant showrunner, but all the other writers are on contract and they've been dismissed. So people piecing together work, trying to survive. And I'm saying it's affecting the quality. When I look at Caldwell and the LA Rebellion, and I'm sitting there in the Merck Park with his daughter, Dara, and, we're, and I'm looking at this real world creative energy that's in place now affecting things like AI in the heart of South L.A. in a black place. And I contrast it with a movie now that is all over the world that has some intriguing, interesting things that are being provoked, written by somebody who's clearly talented, but who is talented and has observed and, and, and immersed in the writing craft in a moment when literacy is being completely rethought and perhaps even eliminated so that the dialogue in that movie, I'm saying, is there a script that these Negroes just talking? Did you just turn on 
the thing. So he says, uh, the, the interviewer asked, what was the original idea for the story? And the brother says, it was a couple of things. I knew I wanted to do a mystery, like a bootleg Scooby-Doo, where the detectives are inadequate, but somehow uniquely equipped. And then I think, okay, bootleg Scooby-Doo. If you went to Caldwell, to, uh, to Larry Clark, if you went to uh, Charles Burdett or Julie Dash, if you went to Haile Garima and said, you want to do a bootleg Scooby-Doo in 1969, 70, 71? They said, what the, who is it? I'm reading... If I'm Holly, Holly Garima is, is watching the films of and reading the work of Usman Simbem, the legendary African filmmaker, Senegalese filmmaker, who is he was often compared to and said he's the heir apparent. There's a genealogy of deep filmmaking. Now we're in a generation where somebody said, I want to make a bootleg Scooby-Doo. Moving image literacy. Then he goes on to talk about, you know, some of these other things. I don't want to get, what about film influences? What are the, oh wait, here we go. Are you someone who thinks in genre generally? He says, I do think in genre, but usually it's mood and tone that comes to mind first. A lot of times it's a song or a piece of a score and I'll be trying to recapture how that feels. This movie was a lot of 80s R&B and funk. Boothy Collins, Mary Jane Girls, Patrice Russian, Alicia Myers. Absolutely. With the 50th anniversary, so-called 50th anniversary of hip hop, you can see how the genre has shifted depending. That 80s influence, which I would say I probably don't want to go too much beyond the 80s. And if I'm in the 90s, it's going to be Jill Scott, Erica Badu, a few others. But, you know, Soul Quarians and them, the roots. And, but the closer you get to now, the more it sounds like that scene. And they clone Tyrone when the white reporter is like, oh, reports are coming out of uh, uh, the Glen that uh, clones it. And then the dude shows up with the camera, with the, the cell phone. Hey, yo, crazy hell out here. Out here cloning motherfuckers. <laughs> and then the white dude is like, uh, yes, that's correct. We, and he never stops looking at the camera, but the dude floating past him, that's the literacy now. Moving image literacy for TikTok and the gram, not even what on the platform we own now, which is why we have to have a platform that's digital, but not a, not illiterate. See, the 80s and 90s, I would argue, is closer to illiteracy. You have the capacity to read, the developed capacity to read. You're just choosing not to from this bombardment through science and technology, these movement images. Now we're entering a space where illiteracy, the inability to read, or the shifted ability to be liter literate in moving images, which is why every time I see a TikTok with that head, somebody talking, and you see the, the screen behind them, I just scroll past that. Because I got to read. So you watch too many of them, it's hard to concentrate. Stolen focuses, as you talk about, Karen. But he goes on and says, um, he says, Southern rap, everything from 3-6 Mafia and Project Pat to UG UGK and Big Crit, Okay, that's that's kind of mid late hip hop. Okay, uh, if you see uh, L.A. Rebellion, Comrade of Cotwell and uh, and Garima, if you see, and I recommend it very highly, if you see To Sleep with Anger, Charles Burdett's brilliant film on Southern influences, you'll see all the South that's in the Dirty South, but you're going to see it from their grandparents' vantage. Mary Alice, Danny Glover, you know. Anyway, so. What about film influences? He says, definitely the Truman Show, They Live. They Live, John Carpenter. Story for another day. This movie is basically if the Truman Show and They Live had a baby. There's a little bit of the Matrix in there as well. A little the Manchurian candidate. I'm assuming he means the Denzel, uh, what's his name? Uh, JFK, Oliver Stone uh, remake, not the Frank Sinatra original. Then again, maybe he went to film school, so maybe he means the original or both. A little Anaconda. Tone-wise, we're really inspired by Jackie Brown, Boogie Nights, and The Big Lebowski. Here we go. I'm sure Spike Lee's pulling his hair out reading this. 
And then for the world building, we looked at Napoleon Dynamite and it follows. Uh, how did, uh, did you always know you wanted to make movies? He says, I wanted to do video game design originally. Uh, you can see that in the film. I went to University of Florida for undergrad and did this program called Digital Arts and Sciences. I'm going to stop there because that allows me to segue to Florida on my way back to the cowboy. Florida's having a hard time hiring black professors. We saw what happened at Florida A&M, the president of Florida a uh, uh, not Florida A&M, the Texas A&M. We saw the president of Texas A&M resigned uh, yesterday in the wake of this uh, butchering that they did at a sister who was supposed to run the uh, the journalism program out there, the black woman who was going to come over from the University of Texas, the, the interim uh, dean of the College of Arts and Science, uh, journalism uh, resigned, and then the president resigned, but it ain't enough. And by the way, Roland Martin out here, because, you know, he went to Texas A&M. He like Omar on the wire. He's out here stalking every administrator, including the board of trustees and everybody. But in Florida, the intimidation factor is taking root. I was talking to Dr. Brown, a brother who is um, on faculty at U of F in the African-American Studies Department. My uh, former classmate, uh, David Canton, um, who well, we, we went to school, grad school together. Dave is the chair of African-American studies at the University of Florida. Mama Zahara Simmons, who I was just talking about, one of the, uh, whose life is in state on freedom, uh, is on faculty there. Um, I said, bro, y'all can't hire. They had five open positions at the University of Florida Gainesville. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't fill them. People not trying to come to Florida. And this brother went to the director, writer of uh, the... Um, they clone Tyrone, uh, Jewel Taylor, J-U-E-L, Jewel Taylor. So he went to University of Florida. He originally wanted to be a gamer. I'm thinking, did you take a class in AFM? Maybe you did. Maybe like Aaron Magruder, who went to University of Maryland. You were African-American States major. Who knows? And you're clearly talented. The film is interesting, very interesting. But as a 58-year-old man, I'm bringing Daughters of the Dust and Sankofa and uh, um, to sleep with anger into watching this film. I'm not starting the films my, in my repertoire of viewing as a consumer with Love Jones and uh, Minister Society. You understand? I mean, and then of course you go back before that, you're talking about everything from the commercial releases, whether it be Poitier in Lilies of the Field or Guess Who's Coming to Dinner or, or later Poitier in um, all of the films he made with Cosby, let's do it again, piece of the action, you know. And then before that, you're talking about stormy weather, you're talking about, I mean, that whole genealogy is in there, that film narrative, that narrative, and it's being accompanied by reading, reading all these things, not just comic books, but reading all these for this other work as well. And so coming to They Clone Tyrone, I can enjoy it, I can learn from it, I can be provoked by it, I can be mad at it, I can see the gaps in it, I can see the possibilities in it, but I'm not using it as my point of departure. Each generation has to acquire its literacy. But when we lose the momentum of memory, which is what you're talking about, Pra, you will enter the space without any previous grounding. So you'll think this is genius. And you'll hear people say that. This was genius, not genius. It's clever. It's clever. Now, what will be even more clever is if you needed no special effects. What would be incredibly clever is if you knew how to do it. And there are moments in there where you see this kind of use. But... It also has the vestiges of moving image literacy, video games, this kind of thing. But in Florida, where Jewel Taylor went to school before going off to USC, there's a thug trying to bully everybody. Right? And let me 
pause here and bring these things together so we can finish in the in the arc and we tie it all together what we are talking about ultimately is what we've been talking about for 176 and counting weekends in a row what we talk about every day in nubia what we continue to contribute to in this huge and vast and growing archive and narrative we're talking about education we're talking about practice and the game okay we're talking about gathering not just curating but gathering and inviting people into conversation with each other as we all bring our whole selves into the space of a gathering which allows us to take what we need out of the space and contribute to pour into existing spaces other spaces and build other spaces so it didn't either or i am absolutely committed now to this fascinating thing i saw at the sankofa city artificial intelligence uh conversation at this chaos network that's the imaginary sankofa city as i showed you all last week chaos network there's the uh the the uh the website i don't even know if my camera's good enough for you to pick up the uh qrc joint on the back but you can see it there these are african people as i said and it's it's fascinating what they're doing with science but the young people who know the science who know the ai the young brother who did the ai who went to usc and who is now assigned and working there at chaos network there in lamert park at the anchor at the heart of lamert park right there at the intersection you know, he, he, I said, this is the first time I ever had an AI headset on. He said, let me walk you through it. So I put the AI and I'm now I'm riding in this imaginary, uh, metro car, rail car. As people are coming in, I'm looking around. And then he took me to a drum circle. I'm looking at them playing the drums and running. And I'm saying this, they're imagining what they want their neighborhood to look at as the developers continue to encroach. And the political folk, the Melina Abdullahs of the world and her, her entire crew in L.A. is pushing back against the developers, pushing against the police and the sheriff's office. Well, this crew, their brick is science and artificial intelligence. You can't stop it, but it's all grounded in culture. They're, they're all over that square. All these people out there, Saturday, and I'm going in and out of these front, these shops, talking with these vendors, having these conversations with folk who have traveled, folk who are in the heart of L.A., all of this. And I, you know, took the footnote. I did because, you know, I have to. I had a tight window of about an hour before I had to, you know, be on site. I wanted to get there hella early so I could just be in the vibe. But I had to wait until I think it was 10 o'clock their time because at 10 o'clock, the last bookstore opened. That's the name of the bookstore. The last bookstore, this is the last bookstore. The last bookstore is, um, this is their little history pamphlet, Last and Lost. The last bookstore is this huge bookstore in LA. Takes up a couple of floors. Thousands of books. So, you know, I only had an hour. I could just, boom, I had to target that joint quick. So I got there, came to, usually I don't ask anybody any questions. I just come in, but I didn't have that time. So I said, look, where's the African... American and African section. They're upstairs on boom. Ooh, stacked all the books, came back downstairs, lugging boxes of books. And okay, ship all this. Because that's the second question. Do y'all ship? Yes. Now I knew that because Beatty and Watkins have been out there. So, okay, good. Boom. And as the lady is ringing it up, we're talking. Turns out she was a teacher. You're a teacher. Yeah, this wh- young white woman. 
She's a teacher. Okay, you're a teacher. Where did you teach? She said, I taught in one of the toniest private schools in LA. And also I taught at, uh, I think she was an elementary school, no, middle school teacher in LA Unified District. Really? And my mom's a teacher, man. What you doing here? She said, COVID, COVID pretty much just broke me. I said, I hear you. I hear you. I felt bad for her. She said, I couldn't because no learning was going on. She said, no learning was going on LA Unified because they were just trying to keep the lights on and get some computers in people's hands. But that private school didn't miss a beat. Class. I'm sitting, again, I think this is probably why when we get off today, I'm going to have to sit still for a minute because, you know, we're going to Kemet in a minute. And next week, we're going to go through why Kemet is important. I'm very much looking forward to next Saturday when we talk about that. But right now, all this is still bubbling in my mind. And anyway, I bring out, I brought out up to say when she's ringing up, she tells me that she had her students in LA, Unif- LA Unified School District, the public school, and in the and the private school. And if I named some of the people whose children were there, you would say, yeah, that's the one. Think of the most, uh, let's say, in the news, famous billionaire you can think of. Anyway, the point is this. She said, I had both classrooms read separately between the world and me. I said, what'd you see? She said, at the private school, the boarding school, the private boarding school, she said, those students were like, we don't understand why you're so critical of America. In fact, they beat up ta Some of them did behind that. In the public school, it freed them to have conversations about their own experiences with this question of not being safe in America. It's very interesting to hear her talk while she ringing my books up. In fact, she got so deep into it. I was like, ma'am, I'm loving this conversation. We could continue to go. But not only do I have to be somewhere, which I'm good. I I, I figured out my timing. But you see that line right there? And even two of y'all at the register and that line going out the door. I don't want them people mad at me. So she said, okay, I understand. But I mean, carrying that into this Florida conversation. What I'm saying is, and let me just make sure that I'm very clear about what I'm talking about now. When we're dealing with education, we have to understand that as I often say, the world is a classroom. Newbie is a classroom. In class is a classroom. Sirius XM, Karen Hunter is a classroom. Narrative is a classroom. They're classrooms. And what we are doing in real time is elevating, trying to demonstrate, connecting the importance of literacy to fuel our imaginations, our talents, our gifts, our determination to transform the social structure we live in and out of our governance, out of our relationship to each other and inside that governance, out of our cultural meaning making, our uses of science and technology, our passing on of memory through time and space, movement and memory, we can then, in our ways of knowing, the ways we think about the world and all of their variety, we can then contribute to human society, not as a racial proposition. Race coming out of this social structure is a labeling, but out of cultural groundings. That race, if we can use it at all, that race gives us the opportunity to see cultural contributions because we've been labeled this. And then we look at each other and say, hey, we all went through this. And yeah, we had all this before we came. Yeah, okay. This is very, I'll take this, take this. Let's let's leave that alone. We shouldn't have brought that with us. Or this is a bad habit we picked up since we've been in this social structure. Okay. And then as Ngugi Watiango says, we create something torn and new, but we have to turn down the noise on the idea that we shouldn't have 
self-determining spaces to do that. I can get along in the last bookstore, have a conversation. It's great, beautiful thing. I'd rather be at Lamert Park at Sankofa City talking about this with the Chaos Network. Why? Those are my people. That's the first thing. That's the second thing. That's the third thing. That's the billion thing. These are my people right here. Why are they your people? Because you came over on a boat? Yeah. And also the people that came over on a boat in the whole hemisphere and the ones who uh, were attacked at home, the home continent, they're not all the same, oh, but they're very similar. And the more I study, the more we study, the more we read, the more we study, the more we listen, the more we share with each other, the more we see the differences and the similarities. This social structure would tell you you have no similarities or certainly none that are any more important than where you are and other people are somewhere in the world. That's a lie. Anybody says it's true. Let's dance. Come on in Monday night on office hours and let's fit because I could be wrong. That's the beautiful thing about education. The more we know, the more we realize we don't know. But in Florida, what we have going on with these uh, these standards, these social study standards, uh, for those people who may not know if you're outside the United States of America or have been looking at something else, this week, the State Board of Education released academic standards for social studies in the K-12, kindergarten through 12th grade Florida schools. And all of the commentators seized upon a bit of language that was used as a proxy for all the standards and said these guys are racist they talk about slavery people develop skills that they might be able to use for their own benefit this kind of thing and so we know that these standards are racist and these standards are they're trying to whitewash history i'm not look so you know what i did and what some of y'all did and what more y'all gonna do now, probably? I went looking for the standards. I gotta read the standards. Why? Because I'm a teacher. There are a lot of us in Nubia teachers. We know that there's curriculum, there are standards, there are benchmarks, there are assessments, and then that's what we do in the classroom. That's why they call it curriculum and instruction. CNI, curriculum instruction. Young people, a lot of them want to know what's on the test. But when you walk into a classroom, if you've got a lesson plan, K-12, if you've got a, a syllabus, college, and prof, you're talking about making adjustments, you got to make adjustments in real time. Journalism is being transformed, AI, you got to figure that out. And then there are moments you walk in the classroom and everything's out the window. And if you are a teacher, you got to sit there and figure out how to get your learning objectives together. All the curriculum is with its benchmarks, with its standards, this is the framework. And so at the end of the day, in a classroom that's being formally assessed, there are things that uh, the assessors expect children to know, expect students of any age to know. And you create the assessments to gauge that. But here's the problem. As we know, a curriculum, and I've written a lot of curriculum. You know, we did the framework for the Philadelphia Public Schools African-American History course. We put an Africana Studies framework in. You know, I worked on the AP African-American Studies course that the College Board did. I mean, I've done a, curric a lot of curriculum over the years. And then there are a lot of people in this room who have, so I'm not saying I'm alone. In fact, I'm very much grateful to be in a space where there are so many of them, the Kathy Adamses and the Dan Blacks and the Kim Delaney's and so many others who have done curriculum, not just in the schools, but in museums and after school programs in 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 in, in churches and Sunday school. I mean, all of this we know sometimes for the family. So, you know, curriculum writers know this. 
You know what you want them to know. You know what you want them to explore. You want what skills you want to be able to engender in folk. And there are many ways to get there. So I read the curriculum standards. And what I realize is there are some things in here I find offensive, but I don't think that a teacher can't do what's necessary to do with this curriculum. Now, let me go to just very quickly. I ain't going to spend much time on this, but I want to mention it because the headlines were about, uh, let me see if I can find it. I pulled it up. This is on page six. Let me just read it. This is social studies standard 68.A.A2 says, analyze events that involved or affected Africans from the founding of the nation through reconstruction. See, what I'm reading for is the language. This is not what the, this is sixth grade. This is not what the middle schoolers are going to get, sixth to eighth grade. The teacher's not coming in and say, okay, today we're going to analyze events that involved or affected Africans from the founding of the nation through reconstruction. No. They got the standard. Now they're going to go in to teach this. If there's a textbook involved, if there's materials involved, which is another set of war that DeSantis, by the way, Andrew DeSantis, Yale and Harvard, don't give a damn about none of these standards. He's running for president. All this was a delivery system to get his boring, useless, no charisma, and somehow able to distinguish himself from Donald Trump. He don't care about none of this. This is the first stage of a booster rocket that is already falling out of the near licking top of the atmosphere to the ground. It failed and he don't care. Now, so they're not going to do that. You're going to come in and do what you need to do. Let's read the standard. The first one under that standard is explain early congressional action. First of all, I'll, let me, before I go any further, I want to know now who's on the committee because it didn't say analyze events that involved or affected African-Americans. It said that affected Africans. You know what that tells me? Somebody in that room who think like I think. See, people automatically think, Andrew DeSantis ain't writing no standards and no teacher uses these standards day to day in the classroom. Yes, the professional development. Yes, evaluations. Yes, you got to dance the dance. I'm not saying this isn't a threat, but what I'm saying is any teacher knows once you close that door. Shout out to my athletes today. I'm going to mention them. Let me just do that right now. The, the class that we teach from 9 to 12 in summer school, this was my week to do it with, uh, with the uh, freshmen, volleyball, basketball, football players. They, for some reason, the assignment I gave them didn't get to them through the delivery system Howard has. The Canvas system didn't work. No problem. But see, I'm a teacher. So after they told me that the car, we didn't get the assignment, no problem. 35 of y'all, sit down. Here we go. I want to know your top five athletes and why. What? Why what? Yeah, why what? Well, why what, Dr. Carr? No, I'm asking you. <laughs> so, so we sat there. I said, get a piece of paper. I don't want this on your computer. I don't want it on your phone. I want you to write it hand through writing instrument on a piece of paper. And I want you to do it tonight. Now, today, we're going to do some Africana State stuff in a different way. But tomorrow, one by one, you're going to read me your five. And we're going to talk about it. And, of course, every one of those names became a point of entry. Several people had Michael Jordan. That allowed me to talk about Jordan saying Republicans buy sneakers, too, when he wouldn't endorse Harvey Gantt in the election that would have put Gantt in the Senate if Michael Jordan had had some damn courage. But the reason several of the uh, students picked Jordan was because they said, well, he's doing stuff in the community. Is he, is he now? I wonder how that influence. Anybody here from North Carolina? Hand goes up. You know Harvey Gantt? I don't know who that is. Somebody look up Harvey Gantt. Look up Gantt versus Helms. They looked it up. Now, somebody put Jordan in the search. Okay, I saw the eyes. Oh, one young sister who's a point guard, going to be an incoming point guard on the Howard's basketball team. She said, 
I said, oh, you must see the quote. Read the quote for everybody. She said, Republicans buy sneakers too. <laughs> Let's talk about why Jordan may be more philanthropic now than he was before. Where's Michael Jordan from? Girl puts her hand up. Wilmington? Wilmington, Delaware? No, Wilmington, North Carolina. How you know that? I'm from Wilmington. Oh, really? So you know about the Wilmington insurrection of 1898. You know what that child said? I do, Dr. Carr. I said, the rest of y'all know? No. I said, tell them. And she walked them through the white terror of 1898. Something we talked about extensively in narrative. Something we talked about extensively in class. But something a freshman basketball player. She's a forward who had among her people the Bayou Barbie. Because <laughs> she said, even though we were around the same age, I look up to her because we kind of had the same game. But she knew about the women. And a teacher, I don't need no damn curriculum. I done spent my whole life reading and writing. If you're from somewhere, if you know somewhere, I'm going to make a connection and you're going to help teach this class. By the time we got to the end of the day, and then, and I, and Prof, you and I were talking about this, and I'm sure a lot of people will get a kick out of this. When I was sitting there with the class, one of the young ladies puts down Louisa Harris. And I said, what you know about Louisa Harris? She said, that was my mom's favorite player. I mean, when I tell you, especially those young sisters, some of the, the dudes had some interesting, uh, Jim Brown was in there, Jackie Robinson. The crazy thing was we continue. And I said, what's today? No, I said, look up Rachel Robinson. So they looked her up and I said, when was she born? July 18th. And I was starting to say, now, when did she make transition to make the point she's still alive? Don't you know when I asked him that question, that was the day that was the 18th of July. I said, it's her birthday, 101 years old. I said, I did not make that up, y'all. That's how you know the ancestors we got. Now they're all in. These are athletes, which means just like at Howard or most places, they're seen as athletes first. I said, no, you're employees of the university. You're getting ready to get a quarter million dollar education, not for free, because you got to earn it every day at practice and on, on and then at the game. But today, you're students. This is why you're here. Otherwise, you'd have gone straight to semi-pro or pro or something like that. So we're having a conversation. They're in it now. And when the young lady started talking, and they're all mixed in together. So whenever one of the sisters would start talking, Don Staley, I loved it. There were coaches being named. I said, I love this. Wait, what do you know about Don Staley? We started talking about, you know. And then this young lady says, Louisa Harris. It blew me away. I said, what do you know about Louisa? She says, my mom's favorite player. My mom played. I said, you should tell them who Louisa Harris is. As I turned to the computer and put Louisa Harris up on the screen. Louisa Harris, 1977, Utah Jazz, drafted out of Delta State in Mississippi. A Mississippian who only made transition uh, in, I think, January 2022 in Greenwood, Mississippi. Black woman, first woman drafted by the NBA. You never know what students know but you're pulling it out of them. Curriculum is often about prompting, curriculum and instruction. So back to the Florida standards. In that standard that is, that's making all the headlines, the first of the uh, one, two, three is explain early congressional efforts regarding the institution of slavery, i.e. the Northwest Ordinance of 1787, Three-Fifths Compromise, Act Prohibiting Importation of Slaves of 1808. If you are a student who's a teacher, if you've studied this, you can do whatever you need to do with those three statutes. Most people be arguing about curriculum, don't do curriculum. They be, or they've been out of it so long that they put together books and say, we should be teaching that instead of that. AP excluded this. Hold on, slow down. When the last time you've been in the classroom with some teenagers? Clearly, it's been a long time. Because a master teacher, <laughs> what did Rakim say? I can swing off anything, even the string of a harp. <laughs> in other words, you done wrote this in the curriculum. 
let me do it. Now tell me what's going to be on the test. And I'm going to have students in there who will score perfectly on your test, even as they're writing the answer and saying out their mouth, this is a lie. This is bullshit. But this is the answer you want. Now let's do it. Let's go. Can we finish now? As I tell students, you should be taking tests the way you fill out a job application. You know your name, right? Write it down. Tests should be an interruption in your study schedule. Why are you putting high? But the problem we have is there aren't that many teachers like that. There are a number of them. Shout out to all of us in here who aspire to that. The problem is at the policymaking level, most of our children will be subject to teachers who either don't want the Aldine lovers to teach any of it, who won't have it on the assessment. Therefore, they will be excused from ever having to do it and who will sneak their ignorance and racism in and not be policed because everything you need to teach the other way, as far as I'm reading these curricula, are in here, the second of the three. Explain the effect of the cotton industry on the expansion of slavery due to Eli Whitney's cotton gin. Benchmark clarification is there. Clarification number one, instruction includes the use of a map to show westward expansion. Oh, shit. First of all, we're going to argue about who invented the cotton gin, but that's cool. You get a map of westward expansion. We did that in the intro class when we ran it uh, back in the fall and early spring here in, in Nubia. Westward expansion and the use of King Cotton, that long staple cotton out of South Carolina, which then revolutionized it, all that stuff that went through Texas. And all. Oh, the, I get to use the map? Oh, man, y'all are finished. And then the one that's getting all the, 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 the uh, attention. SS.68.AA.2.3. Examine the various duties and trades performed by slaves, e.g. agricultural work, painting, carpentry, tailoring, domestic service, blacksmithing, transportation, period. Slaves, people mad about that. I'm mad about it too. But the overall section says, analyze the events that involved or affected Africans from the founding of the nation through reconstruction. Were those Africans not enslaved? Yes, they were. I'm now reading this as a fight between the members of the committee. The person who is thinking like we thinking got Africans in the bold benchmark. The one who's thinking like Jason Aldean and them got slaves in on the third subcategory of the benchmark. I'm looking at a quilt. Come on, y'all. This is why literacy is important. I'm not talking about anybody here. I'm talking about people who's oh, uh, uh, stop watching MSNBC or reading one article or hearing somebody on TikTok try to break this down. Go to the document and go with somebody know what they're talking about. And here's the thing that caused everybody to consternation under what I just read. Here's the benchmark clarification. Clarification number one. Instruction includes how slaves develop skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. What's the thing about that, bro? Wait. Trick, trick, <laughs> trick question. Trick question. Here's the thing. Most of us were enslaved in formations that did not involve hundreds of people on a plantation. Carter G. Woodson's grandfather, remember we read about this when we read his article, his 1943 Negro History Bulletin article, My Recollection of Veterans of the Civil War. Carter Woodson was enslaved in a small formation, a handful of Africans enslaved by these Europeans, by this European. This white boy trying to make money. As Woodson explains about his grandfather in Virginia, the soil that they were working was poor. So they had to labor like hell, which means the white boy ain't making no money, which meant there were moments when he hired Woodson's grandfather out to other places. Woodson's grandfather then got hired out. And remember, that's how he learned to become a master carpenter and furniture maker. And he started making money. And the deal was, I make this money. I bring 
this money back to you and I keep this money for myself. This is not uncommon during enslavement. Now I'm reading this standard, mad, but also cognizant of the fact that many times the higher outs, remember we read Blake or the Huts of America. There are many instances, it was commonplace, not standard, but it was, it happened often that African people figured out ways to negotiate nominal movement by developing skills that they could sell for hire, particularly in the border states, Tennessee, Kentucky, places like that. And so it's still enslavement, but it's very different. Now in Florida, is that going to be the case? Not as much as in Tennessee or Kentucky. However, it still would be the case. And did they not develop skills? Clarification one, instruction includes how slaves develop skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. I'm telling you right now, that's a standard that historians and teachers fought about. And the compromise was, uh, you got the racists that like, I don't want to talk about slavery. But then you got the other people that's like, we're going to talk about agency. And I can't stop y'all from putting all the racist stuff in here. But what I can do is put some points of entry so that a teacher can figure out how to use this. If it were me and everybody in Florida, I ain't talking about the noops. None of the noops down there in Tampa. It's rainy yesterday. They down there. They, they, they came out against the curriculum. I know the vice president came down there and railed against it. That's very nice. On the last time she'd been in the classroom teaching. I understand people mad, but I also understand that our people are in Florida. And everybody who comes in office hours who are teachers in Jacksonville and Tallahassee, um, Certainly Mama Olabisi, who spent many years in the schools in Jacksonville, who developed after school programs, rites of passage, who still runs the Kwanzaa, who does all that work there before she came and joined Baba uh, uh, Larry in uh, Baba, Baba Kwaku, Larry Crow in, in, in Dayton, understand our people are in Florida. And these standards are not going to stop them who know for how to do it. And if you are in a professional, so-called professional development with teachers, you need to share with them some of what we're talking about right now. The value of this platform includes the fact that people can pause, look, annotate, put some things down, deal with some questions that can help them enhance this. So when they come back and say, you ain't supposed, hold on, I read clarification number uh, uh, number one under SS68AA23. It said, the way I read it, that I should be looking at skilled enslaved Africans who were able to take money even while they were enslaved and after reconstruct after the civil war built their own businesses that's how i read it that ain't what that's hold on no it says develop skills which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit ain't that what that said yeah y'all you don't know enough about it to use that what you thought was a a cudgel we turned it into a scalpel to dismantle you because you don't know enough about it I'm going to end with this on these curriculum because I could go through all of them. I went through the whole thing, which ain't but about 30 pages in the broader document. But I want to draw our attention to just a couple of others. Uh, page eight on enslavement. Let me see. What did I have here? Uh, examine. Look, they got a comparative slavery standard in here. This is for high school. SS912AA.1 says, examine the causes, courses, and consequences of slave trade in the colonies from 1609 to 1776. 1609, very interesting. Go back, don't go back to the 1500s. La Florida does, and in the curriculum, they address it other places. Here's the first one. Examine the condition of slavery as it existed in Africa, Asia, the Americas, and Europe prior to 1619. They talk about no, clarification one. Instruction includes how trading in slaves developed in African lands, e.g. Benin, Dahomey. Oh, that's all I need, baby. Let's dance. See, if you know, now you're going to be able to pull out the fact that, you know what the European contribution was? Brilliant contribution. It's got us speaking English this morning. 
chattel slavery. Because you just said in the clap, you want me, okay, next, number two. Instruction in the practices of the Barbary pirates in kidnapping Europeans and selling them into slavery in Muslim countries, i.e. Muslim slave markets in North Africa, West Africa, Swahili Coast, Horn of Africa, Arabian Peninsula, Indian Ocean slave trade. Aha, aha, you know what I'm thinking. Let's dance with this. Here go the Muslim slave trade. This ain't the thing. Now they're arguing about that one clarification. Number three. Instruction includes how slavery was utilized in Asian cultures, e.g. Sumerian law, code, Indian caste system. Clarification four of number five. Of five. Instruction includes the similarities between serfdom and slavery and the emergence of the term slave in the experience of Slavs. And number five, instruction includes how slavery among indigenous peoples of the Americas was utilized prior to and after European colonization. I can work with that standard. Because now you're going to have a compared to slavery conversation. My only question is, are any of these questions going to be on the test? Because that's what's going to drive instruction. And if I've got enough room in my schedule, my planning and scheduling timeline from day to day to week to week, my lesson plans and unit plans, and depending on what the textbook is and where I have flexibility to bring other things in, we're going to have a comparative slavery conversation. And what you're going to find out is that European slavery was unique in all the formations. And you get to bring in the Muslims. And you get to talk about the indigenous people. And you get to talk about the Asians. And most importantly, governance, you get to talk about intra-African unfree labor arrangements, the first of which would be childhood. But my point is this, a teacher with programs can figure out how to use this curriculum. We have narrative. We've got classrooms within Nubia with master teachers exchanging materials, having conversations. We convene regularly to have real-time conversations. Nothing these hillbillies are creating can remotely challenge our capacity to overflow their stupidity. <laughs> there because there's other things i mean harry i was looking for harry moore harry and harriet moore are in here on page 19 the naacp warriors killed in their house on friday now on, on night after Chris, christmas night john brown is in here page 15 along with nat turner in fact i just want to read this quick one and then we're gonna go to the white boy in the, the the let me see uh the here we are ss.912.aa.2.14 compare the this is the this is the question compare the actions of nat turner John Brown and Frederick Douglass and the direct sponsors to their efforts to end slavery. Come on. The next standard described the effects produced by asylum offered to slaves by Spanish Florida. This explains why them Negroes, the Underground Railroad ran from South Carolina to Florida. This is Fort Mose. It's talked about in here. Here's the clarification. Instruction includes the significance of Fort Mose as the first African free African community in the United States and its role in the Seminole tribe played in the Underground Railroad. Instructions include the role of Florida and larger Gulf Coast region in the War of 1812 as the British offered liberation to slaves. Anything you want to do is in these front. Leave that disheveled, five o'clock shadow, clearly ain't been to no tailor suit wearing, cosplay corn pone, Harvard Yale educated, Andrew DeSantis. Let, put him out of your head rent free, read the standards. And let's engage in what Jake Carruthers would call intellectual warfare. It's a different conversation. Leave television alone. You can't learn nothing about this and leave these Negroes who mean well, but ain't been in a classroom forever and think this war can't be won the way it needs to be won. We got to win this war at the grassroots. We got to win this war in the local, in the intimate. The policymakers, the talking heads on media, yes, keep banging, but do not look to them for how to win. Do not look to them for how to win. So let's, let's spend five minutes on Jason Aldean. 
Wait, before, before you do, though, I just had a question. Who, as you went through that, I thought that there are a lot of teachers left in Florida that don't have the capacity to do what you just did, number one. So will we have enough teachers with the desire? You know, I brought up Tiffany Aliche in this conversation because I don't, she's not the norm. Mm-mm. A lot of folk are in education as a placeholder. There are a lot of great educators that are fatigued. There are a lot of great educators that didn't read this. And I just dropped the actual. Um, oh, you put the link in? Thank I you. Put the link in. And Nubia. Uh, and so I, I'm wondering, and, and media so lazy that they picked out the one thing that would again get us arguing, right? Get us reading headlines and oh, then yeah. parroting the thing because 99.9% of us are not going to do 84 pages of study. No. Four pages. We're not going to read it, including That's me. Right. I'm not reading this whole thing. You so don't have to. We're going to depend on people like you to curate it, but unfortunately, the media is not going to people like you to break mm-hmm. it down. So we don't even know, and the teachers aren't doing the work. So right, that's well. Uh, this is I think prop. This is our you know, this is our challenge. What we have here is available. Now you got to do the subscription to come over in there, and there's a ton of stuff there that we already have, and a ton of teachers generating all this stuff. But what we have that's public facing. Is enough. If there are teachers, okay, don't go or do go to your principal, to your district superintendent and say, we want to play the Saturday, July 22nd, 2023 conversation from in class. We want to play this in professional development. Some of y'all want to do that. Fine. Go. Because you can't, they can't stop. But here's the other thing. Those of you who want to, just play it yourself. Get your crew together. Because we understand, look, we both men, you've been in more of those rooms than I ever will, where you can't just show your whole card. This is why we got to have a social structure. We find each other. Now, but the larger question you raise, and this is depressing, but better to light a candle than curse the darkness. Are there enough? The answer is no, and there's never been enough. The closest we got to a critical mass is before apartheid ended. But the minute they decided Brown and Du Bois told them they're going to go for the teachers. They're going to be, and as Leslie Fenwick said, they fired 100,000 teachers. What they said, we'll take some of your students, but we will not have your teachers there to teach them. This, this is what we're doing. We are, we're, we've jailbroken it. Can't nobody, so yes, no. The answer is no. We know the answer is no, but that's why we're doing what we're doing. Here's what we also need to do. Um, just the way, you know, and I've been thinking about this for a long time. We need to start to train the yes. way we did back, train up the teachers that we need to now flood the schools because those um, uh, horrible people for liberty are doing doing that. And they don't even read, right? Or do, they, they're like ignorant, but they are moving like Voltron. We need to move, like we got the numbers and these are our kids. They're so our kids. They're our kids in the public school, predominantly our kids. So we must have the master teachers Yes. Teaching at every level, coming in mass. I know Sharif Almeki is training up teachers, and I know there's a lot of folk out there t- training teachers. And then we have to make it viable for them financially. But there are school systems in Alabama and all of these places where the salaries start at six figures. So we got to be real strategic. That's right. About how we deploy. Like this is war. Like how do we deploy? Well, we got to train. And then deploy strategically, starting with preschool, starting with kids. Now we know what the plan is and where the attacks are. Let's come in like that and then dismantle this thing from the inside, That's or right. or or create these, um, you know, 
fiefdoms within these spaces. And then with a purpose, teach our students, our children, how to come back to the community to serve. That's exactly right. Prof, we, we've been doing that. We, I mean, but in other words, what we're doing now, we've taken the baton from previous generations. When I mentioned the East Sisterhood last week, that most of these women were school teachers. This, this, the East started out of an insurrection in Brooklyn with local oh, for fight over local control of the schools and Jitu Weusi and all those women and men who started the East, many of them were school teachers. Jitu himself, Baba Jitu was a school teacher. The Ocean Hill-Brownsville War. And while they fight, they fought to get control of the curriculum and to get black teachers in the schools, they did not wait to create a governance formation where they did all the work themselves. And we and as we talked about, and as I mentioned, like, like I said, when I saw Chuck D last weekend, you see the result. You see the result in Public Enemy's lyrics. You can tell the people that had the African-centered education. Erica Badu comes out of South Dallas. Y'all know we talked about Pan-African Connection, the Black Bookstore down there. Shout out to Pan-African. Shout out to that whole African-centered community. She ain't just showing up talking like that. And yes, there's a movie called I Clone Tyrone. So I'll let you imagine whether or not at some point her song makes an appearance. But my point is this. You can tell creatives where they went and who they've been connected to by some of the things come out their mouth. In me, I'm like, oh, oh, you went to so-and-so. Oh, you know so-and-so. Do you know so-and-so? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, and so I think what we have to do is maximize this space. And we're doing it, but and I saw in the chat, somebody said, we need to do a separate thing on this. I'll tell you what, Monday night in uh, office hours, we'll we'll do a bit more detail. I'll go through this, correct. I'll, I'll go through these sections here because again, it's 80 some pages, but it's, it's only the first maybe quarter to a third that's directly on what we've been talking about that's got these media headlines. I'll do that on Monday night. I'll and I just want to make the distinction. So narrative with a K yes. uh, was the thing that we formed during okay. the pandemic as a learning platform. So we have, you know, over 300 book, black owned bookstores in there, resources, books, actual books that we have both annotated and discussed everything from Carter G. Woodson to W.B. Du Bois to, to uh, Blake. I mean, there's all of these books in there, there are resources for that. There are resources for just about everything. So narrative is the resource. It, think about it as the library where you yes. go all of the in-class with cars from the beginning all the way through. Some are even annotated where you can go and sit with it at your own pace as a student, right? We yes. created Nubia less than three years ago because streaming live on a platform like YouTube invites all kinds of people who may not be here uh, to actually learn, just be, they're here to distract the, the yeah. chat, coming yeah. in, distracting. And we, stolen focus is a real thing. So we wanted a place where we know everybody's on the same page, at least with how we engage with one another, that they're coming in with respect. So we created Nubia out of defense to stream everything from in class with car initially to now office hours, to now metanetric class, to uh, we got mental health uh, classes on, on uh, Sunday, as well as yoga classes on Wednesday. So now it's a place for the community to come where we can chat in peace and also be a part of something greater than ourselves inside. So it's a social dynamic, but you can only get to that through narratives membership. So you gotta be part of narrative to be yes. a part of Nubia. Nubia is the bonus. You're not paying for Nubia, you're paying right. for narrative. Yeah, get Nubia as a benefit. So yes. there are people who think, oh, this is it's not Twitter. No, you're not paying for Twitter. You're not paying. Yeah. For, 
you're paying for the education and the knowledge that's a narrative. You yeah. get Nubia as a result of that. So thank you. That I needed to clear thank clarify. You. So office hours is something that Dr. Carr does. He's probably going to also do a hip hop class because I'm asking him to do that. We're probably mm -hmm. bring in more teachers as and well. And not alone. We're going to be a bunch of teachers. There's going to be a lot of teachers coming in. But that's that's how we convene. And then people do Q&A. Uh, they pop in and ask questions. Dr. Senyata on Sundays as well. You know, yeah. and it's it's our safe place, you know, and there's all kinds of people in there. Okay. But, but there's a there's a there's a there are rules of engagement. You're not just I coming know. in, you know, you're going you're gonna to come in and behave like you were raised by <laughs> human beings. That's it. No, but no, but. So, so I just wanted to say that and clear that up. No, that's very important. And, and that, that is critical because, again, I mean, that, that work we're doing in Nubia is really, I don't, it, I, I've never experienced anything like that. And it has the feel of the places, I think all of us, if we've been lucky enough to be in study circles, Comedic Institute, uh, African Center for Study and Worship in Columbus, you know, these are First World Alliance in New York, uh, Ive Heru in Detroit, uh, and Atlanta. I'm sorry. Atlanta is Bennu study group. That was Asa here and Charles Finch in them. In Dallas, it was Third Eye. I mean, so, it's so many different configurations, but Nubia is like all of those places and more and in this space from all over the world. And our value is us. Uh, this is in yesterday's uh, Financial Times. Blackstone bullish on year uh, into year-long deal drought as U.S. inflation weakens. Blackstone is the country's largest landlord they just passed the trillion dollar asset valuation mark you're not going to catch these people in their system but what we do have is us and that's the superpower in the world if we can get enough of us and even if we don't have a whole lot and we got a lot now but we can change this and and so i just want to mention that another just a couple other things and i want to end with uh with our friend aldine no in fact let me just end with let me just deal aldine and then one other thing Jason Aldean, let me be very clear with your 12 million plus YouTube viewers and rallying white nationalists and uh, talking all kind of stuff to somebody call you on it. And uh, then you say that ain't what you meant, which therefore reveals that you are at least taking the posture of a uh, studio gangster, uh, as they would call back in the day. Yeah, you you know, you're a gangster in them in them recording booths. But uh, um, the fact that you chose the courthouse there Maury county courthouse in columbia tennessee which is about made less than an hour from where i was born and raised nashville tennessee about 40 minutes 45 minutes uh from nashville uh that lets everyone know that you did indeed know exactly what you were doing sir um you can claim you didn't you can claim that when justin jones critiqued you and everybody else critiqued you that you didn't know or or that people wouldn't know that you filmed at the site of the um, lynching in 1927 uh, of a young brother who was 17 years old, um, Henry Choate, actually 18 years old, 1927, they accused him of attacking a white girl, 16 year old. It was a lie, everybody knew it was a lie. They pulled him, they put him in the jail. The sheriff promised justice for his white friends and they lynched him in front of that uh, building, sir. So you can say that you got to dig for it to find that out. But somebody, you see, you from Macon, Georgia. You're not from Maury County, Tennessee, man. 
And uh, not only that, uh, that was 1927. We come forward to February 25th, 1946, when James Stevenson and his mom got into an argument with a vendor. And that turned he, this man, a Pacific uh, Navy vet, came home after World War II. And then they trumped up some stuff against the two of them. And a mob gathered in front of that courthouse, sir, and set off what became known as the Columbia Race Riot, very famously known, as I said, on Monday night, Linda Wynn and uh, no, as I said, on Thursday, Linda Wynn, uh, Leah Rotha Williams, uh, Bobby Lovett, all those great black scholars there in Nashville who and in and, and, and Memphis and in and, and Knoxville and all those places who do that work in Columbia, Tennessee, who've written about this. In fact, after the Columbia race riot, you know who went up there to defend that man and his mom and the other Africans who they tried to railroad? Thurgood Marshall. Thurgood Marshall went. He went. He stopped in Nashville and picked up the legend himself, Z. Alexander Luby. And when they got the got them off, because in the ensuing thing, this is what happened. The white boys put their lynch mob together in front of your little video staging ground courthouse, Jason Aldean, little fella. Guess what we did? We said, try that in a small town because the brothers who were veterans of the military after World War II, they got together. They got together. They got together on what they call the mink side of town. That was the black side of town. And they got their strap. Let's dance. Let's dance. And so before it was over, it was lives lost. Black lives were lost. White lives. We're lost. Try that in a small town, Jason Aldean. You know what you did, you see, when you put your little video together in front of that courthouse with Thurgood Marshall and them went up there because they was going to put the brothers who shot in jail. They got them off and then two times they drove out of town. The first time, the police chased them, not chased them, trailed them and stopped them a couple of times, made up traffic stops. And the second time, after they uh, finally got out of that, they said, now don't y'all come back here no more. The book is called Devil in a Grove. Some of y'all probably heard that book. It chronicles how Thurgood Marshall and Z. Alexander Luby and them went up a fight. See, Jason, we know what you did, but I know you're not, I, I, I don't want to say not man enough, you're punk. I don't want to say none of that. I want to say somehow you don't have, you don't seem to have mustered the courage to say it with your little country music chest. Because when you get called on it, I mean that. Okay, well then that's what we thought. This is the same studio gangster courage that your friend who said you made a great song, Donald Trump said, that your friend, his son, Donald Trump Jr. said, oh, he made a great song. Okay, well, it's about, it ain't about race. Okay, so all I ask of the white nationalists is this, say it with your little bird chest. At least have that much because you're not hurting us and we're not gonna be distracted. And when you stand up in front of that courthouse, we remember that in on December 15th, 1933, Cordy Cheek, accused of messing with a white woman was taken from his uncle's house in North Nashville near the campus of Fisk University and hung on a tree in front of that courthouse. Little fella. You try that in the small town called United States of America or in the world house, as Martin Luther King might say. You see, you live in the world house now. We worldwide. You're not even a speed bump, sir. But you are a nice little moment that we can use as a point of entry to teach the larger point. The country that you think you want never existed, never will. And the peak of your ability to try to make that country real passed about 50 years ago. And it's all slipping away. 
Because again, if you're not in office hours, last Monday night, we went through demographics and the changing demographics in the world. And I think actually they put the print version of that in today's New York Times. I think it's in today's paper, but that's all right. We talked about it, about how the demographics are changing. Oh, maybe it was in yesterday's paper. Yeah, no, here it is. Here it is. So remember on, on Monday night, we talked about the vast demographic shifts, the youngest countries, the oldest countries. Yeah, you better take your house. You better take your horse down there on Old Tower Road. Because last I checked, we coming for our country music back too. Shout out to Lil Nas X. Anyway, the last thing I want to mention is um, our friend and brother, Hakeem Adi, who, crazily enough, the first Black person, the first person of African descent to be appointed a professor of history in Britain, who's teaching at the University of Chichester, they're after his job. So this ain't just Florida. This ain't just United States. Uh, Hakeem Adi is a brilliant, this is his brand new book, Many Struggles. He edited this. New Histories of African and Caribbean People in Britain, edited by Hakeem Adi. I mentioned him, very good brother, very important uh, scholar, activist. He does a lot of work with K-12. He's written textbooks. Um, very important uh, uh, brother. And so just want to mention him because we were talking about him the other night um, in, in office hours. At the University of Chichester, they have closed his program. He directed a master's by research, an MRES is what they call it in the UK, in what, what was called the history of Africa and the African diaspora. It's not, there's a, no course of study, no degree like that is offered anywhere else in the United Kingdom. And Hakeem Adi is the first and only professor of Africa and African history in that program. And he's the first black person to be appointed as a professor of history in Britain. Crazy that we're talking about that in 2023. But they're doing, they're closing that program. And now the next step would be to declare his position redundant, even though his his appointment predates the program. There's a petition going around worldwide, people uh, signing to fight back. Um, I hope that, you know, folk will consider signing it. Uh, Hakeem has been on a lot of social media. Maybe we'll get him over in Nubia to talk to update us a little bit about that. But I just wanted to mention that because this is a worldwide fight we're in, this intellectual warfare. And I said it was the last thing, but I, I, let me let me put my timer on. I don't want to take. I just want to again close with something I mentioned about 30, 45 minutes ago to all the students this week who took me down through there, as we used to say back in Nashville, in the South. Boy, it took you down through there. Y'all ripped up the floorboards on a lot, not on what I think, what I believe, but you really put. I couldn't escape, Prof. Mm, I couldn't escape. In that afternoon class, we started. We were talking about 19, I was talking about the Black Arts Movement, and I gave them a timeline from James Smethurst's book on the Black Arts Movement, which starts with 1954. We didn't get past 1954 because the conversation around Brown versus Board of Education and what happened in the wake of desegregation. When I tell you these 18-year-olds then walked to a person through the great marks that have been left on them as really the, the kind of fourth wave of those who came out of apartheid. I mean, the things they've seen, the things their parents have tried to protect them from. No teenager. Every generation in this funky criminal enterprise called United States of America, if you're a person of African descent, you can't escape. Children who came through enslavement, their ancestors came through enslavement. Children who came here from the Caribbean or from Africa, their parents did. This ADOS mess, I don't want to hear it. 
I want to hear all of it in terms of the uniqueness of the experience. But in terms of solidarity movements, you need to go with your master because you're engaged in black face nativism. And it's going to be the thing that puts us in harm's way. These children, mm, I, I call them children. I, I, these young people. And then the one young sister in there, I don't even call her Latina. I guess you could say Chicana in a sense because she's, you know, she's talking about being Mexican. And one young lady from the Atlanta suburbs was talking about how in her school they have this huge ROTC program and it's overwhelmingly Spanish speaking students. And this young lady said, who was reading, by the way, uh, Achebe's trilogy. When I came back in the room, the high school students from Philly had just finished putting things fall apart and uh in that book novel in conversation with uh with uh state on freedom which i didn't do one young lady was reading things fall apart i came back in the room shout out to my graduate assistant miss carter who held them down while while i was gone and this young lady is sitting there reading so what you reading she said uh, things fall apart i said i just got finished answers don't make any mistakes you know what this child said child you know what this young lady said she said a lot of undocumented folk, of course, their way to get to stay in the United States is through military service. There's a reason why those ROTC units are big in those Spanish-speaking high schools. She said, I lived it. I saw it. This is the one they pull out to be the show pony so everybody sees success. But she refuses to turn her back or to unlink with all the rest of her folk who they shoveling off to fight America's wars. Y'all tore me up, Wednesday. I got to go think about this because this is what is at stake. Our future is at stake and it's in these classrooms. That's why we got to fight this fight in the place we are. Thank you, Prof. I'm going to stop. <laughs> no, I'm, I was going to play this video, but um, you got it? I don't, don't want to end it with um, that, but I did post the the um, petition. I signed it while you were talking uh, in, in Nubia. So uh, everyone in Nubia signed the petition uh, as well. But I want I want to end with that because you know as much as we talk about race and racism, the combat to that is knowledge. Yes, knowledge is power. The more we know, the more we know collectively, the more we can do and move collectively. Uh, we are fighting a battle of ignorance more than anything, and um, ignorance and greed are the are the toxic mix, the toxic brew that we are having to, to, to sip on every day. And the only way to combat that is what we're doing. So I, I'm so eternally grateful. I can't tell you, um, here. you know, I know we say this a lot and it's not platitudes because no. the, the life changing, life altering exchange that can only happen through the back and forth, right? You can't yes. silo, you can't be in your own headspace with this. You have to, you have to bang up against other people who will, help you see things differently. And if you are not willing to change, you're the problem. Absolutely. When you're wrong, when you're being told this is wrong and the evidence is clear, change mm. your mind. It's okay. Oh, it doesn't make you weak. Will you get, I want you, please, I want you to continue. I just want to interject very quickly because it made me think about it. As they, as they kept talking, I'm talking about the afternoon students, the athletes, we'll talk about that another day, how we got into name, image, and likeness, and jump man. I mean, these kids are thinking, but you want them to run balls, but they thinking about us. These young people in the afternoon, prof, when I tell you a number of them said, I wanted to be a teacher, but they said I was too smart to be a teacher. No, no, this is what we're talking about, right? People who have talent, who are cultivated, are steered away. And they started talking about the battle. And they just, eventually, you just give up. 
Because they said, well, you got to maximize the value of your degree. You can't make no money. But the smart kids want to be teachers, bro. We got to fix that. Anyway, please. But don't we want the smart kids to be teachers? Don't we want the smart kids to be teachers? Not this society. So, yes. our own people doing it to us. But you got to see how the, oh, how evil it is, right? That that you don't pay teachers. You don't pay adjuncts. You don't pay the very thing that you need society to create imagination and to build the next generation of, you know, name, filling up Lewis Latimer's and I'm, right. I'm going to name black people now, you know, uh, Grants and, and, you know, Garrett, Garrett Morris, uh, Morgan, and, you know, the next generation of Sarah Hales, you, you, you need teachers to help spark that. Right. So, so you don't pay them so that the bright, brightest and the best go into engineering and computers and all of the business and lawyers. Yes. And you 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 sap the energy, and you make you make uh you make uh, so that says something, right? It says so so much. So and we the fact that they still that. wanted to do it. They still so, wanted to do it. <laughs> so as we as we put pressure on these philanthropists, that needs mm-hmm. to be what is funded, right? That's Always. Right. That's right. If it's not an education program, this shouldn't get any money. We don't need it. We don't need near another something else. I mean, what the hell? This this has to be the goal, right? Hey, Ford Foundation, all the Carnegie and all the things that have given money to things, Roosevelt and everything. Let's let's fund education and educators and not grifters that are building schools that never right anyway. All right. Or write um, curriculum okay. for each other so they can get awards and then nobody ever opens the book, but they get all the awards from educators for right. Come on, y'all. Yeah. Teachers know how the curriculum game works. Some of y'all are my friends, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say less. Uh, on that note, uh, thank you. Love you. I love you. Love everybody. This was a narrative. If you are not in narrative on YouTube, narrative with a K, follow narrative because in class with car is going to migrate over to its proper home. It's not a Karen Hunter show, and it gets confusing, right? Because Karen Hunter show is a specific thing that we just used the space because it was the space that was being used. Now it's got a lot of people following it that I wanted to introduce this class to, but now we have our own space and home over at narrative. So that's where we're going to be rocking. And every now and then we'll go live, but Nubia is where we live, but let's, let's, let's play this algorithm a little bit differently. So those of you who are not subscribed to the narrative channel do so because in class with car will be moving from the Karen Hunter show space to where it should be every single Saturday, which is on narratives uh, platform in YouTube also live all the time mm. so i just wanted to say that thank you car doctor all right all right see you and everyone i'll see some of you on monday on sirius xm